Hi, I'm Liam O'Rourke, and as I speak, TNA is on the verge of being sold to Aerolux, a company that employs the Harris Twins, just when I think my opinion of TNA couldn't be lower. Not sure I feel comfortable hearing Ron and Don after a match telling me to hit the showers. I'm G. John Chase, and to be honest, outside of wrestling, I definitely do have one guilty pleasure, and that's sugar. I eat way too much of it, and quite frankly, now I'm a little bit worried due to my expanding waistline. So from now on, if you hear some crunching, it's because I'm on the pretzels. No sugar for me. I'm Kieran O'Rourke, and after nine attempts to do a real-life guilty pleasure of mine, I'm getting sick and tired of Liam saying they're not acceptable for the show, so fuck it. And I'm Matt Holt, and my wrestling guilty pleasure will most definitely... Can we do that again? Sorry, pal, we're live. This is the panel for the 81st Squared Circle Gazette Radio, and you can hear us talk about wrestling's guilty pleasures next. And welcome to the 81st Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke, alongside G. John Chase. Kiddies. Kieran O'Rourke. Alright. And joining us, Matt Holt. Hello again all. First time in a while, Matt. Good to have you back. Thank you for having me. And uh, we are indeed back this week to talk about wrestling's guilty pleasures, specifically your wrestling guilty pleasures. Uh, we threw this one out to the loyal listeners on uh, the Facebook page and, of course, all the forums. And uh, you have responded in bulk, 19 pages of different wrestling guilty pleasures to talk about over the course of this show. We're going to get to as many as we can, although I think getting to all of them will be nigh on impossible. Uh, but getting to a quick programming note before we uh, step ahead here with the guilty pleasures. Next week, we are going to be returning to the Monday Night War timeline, the crown jewel of Squared Circle Gazette Radio is some feel. Uh, we're going to be doing May and June of 1998 in the Monday Night War, talking all about Raw, all about Nitro, and uh, all the backstage news, as always, from the Wrestling Observer newsletters of the time. Uh, so if you need to catch up on the timeline, you can, of course, go to squaredcirclegazette.com, where we archive every show we've ever done, and you can hear the old timelines there. But looking very much forward to that, and I was very much looking forward to this one too, because Guilty Pleasures, last week we were talking about the worst pay-per-view matches in wrestling history. On paper, possibly a bit of a downer subject that ended up being a lot of fun. So, of course, today, Wrestling Guilty Pleasures, we have asked the loyal listeners to search the deepest, darkest parts of their soul and, uh, and bear the guiltiest pleasure they have when it comes to professional wrestling. And we've got a litany of them, so we're going to get to them right now. Kicking off with Matt Applin on the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash scgradio, uh, who says... I was a huge Tommy Dreamer guy when ECW was around. <laughs> I thought he was the best wrestler on their roster and could yeah. do no wrong. Even more sorry that I thought his feud and matches were just incredible were awesome. Yeah. Keep in mind, I was watching ECW through my teenage years, and the only way we could watch it in New Zealand was on VHS from the local video store. Tommy Dreamer stood out to me more than the others on the roster, and when Jake Roberts walked out as his mystery partner at November to Remember 98, I lost my shit. I still find myself cracking a smile when he turns up today. By the way, his nude appearance on the Edge and Christian show will scar you for life let the ridicule flow lads uh, I want to get to this one first because obviously on the last uh, episode of Squared Circle Gazette Radio Kieran who was expecting to see Tommy Dreamer's name pop up on some of the worst pay-per-view matches ever lambasted Mr. Dreamer so it seems appropriate that for guilty pleasures this one come up first um, well before we came on air you did say we don't really want to be spearing too many listeners opinions <laughs> So, in order not to use up my quota straight away, I will abstain from commenting on this fucking stupid suggestion. <laughs> but there's a 
lot of people that like Tommy Dreamer. Yeah, I can't hate it. I used to quite like Tommy when I was probably around the same era this guy was catching um, ECW VHSs. We were getting them by, was it Delta, the company that yeah. put them out over here? Yeah. And yeah, I thought everyone, man, fuck me. I used to think con- Confederate currency Chris, Chris Hamrick was good. So, <laughs> oh, uh, Jesus. <laughs> he, he, he can I, can't, some, yeah, I can't even condone that. He took, <laughs> Come he, on. He took some good bumps on concrete. <laughs> yeah. Well, that Julio De Niro. <laughs> we on board him. Jason and his crew, I always remember being off. Was it Jason, the J- guy who had Jason, like, the musketeer? Oh, <laughs> oh, no, that was Simon oh, Diamond. Simon Diamond, no, he did Simon Diamond with the musketeer, the, the twins with the, uh, the monobrow uh, each, so he didn't share one. Um, and uh, Mitch. Was it the, the Mitch, Mike Guy Mitch or whatever? No, you're thinking with Jason, you're thinking the uh, sexiest man on earth. Who is Jason, just incredible second. Just inco- incredible, who had his own entourage, I remember, of uh, Chastity and uh, Nicole Bass. Yeah. Tommy Dream was a weird one. I can't. I can't neither like support or like refute him. I, I don't. I don't hate him enough <laughs> to really to to Kieran's <laughs> extent. But I also don't like like him. All I can say is that he didn't offend me uh, enough did. to the extent of of Kieran. Uh, and I think that he did have some decent matches. Tommy Dreamer insults procreation. <laughs> he insults life. I feel embarrassed to be a human being. To to belong to the same species as that <laughs> fucking walrus. <laughs> the key here, obviously, with Dreamer is that he's he's a cup of tea of yours or he's not. You know, I, yeah. I feel that way. He certainly wasn't the cup of tea of the ECW fans in the beginning, and I guess he won them over by, you know, sacrificing Being his body and stuff. Taking a cane to the balls. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. So I think a lot of people kind of associate with ECW with fond memories of that time, so I can see why it's a guilty pleasure. For me, I was never a Dreamer fan. I thought that everything that he did seemed forced, and, and he's just too much of a try-hard mm. With, with almost that twinge of thinking that he's really good, mm. I, th- I think he's so good. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't, I didn't mind him at all when watching ECW in its time, uh, in its heyday. I, I, I kind of got what what they were what they were doing with him and so on. I, and I think he, you know, he did do some decent stuff with, with with Raven and Sandman and so on. But I think, yeah, certainly, certainly post. ECW original ECW I certainly think yeah then then, then there's more of a well, there's more of a gripe with him being around because he, he doesn't he, 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 he doesn't deserve to be around now he didn't deserve to well, fucking no. reappear in December no of course not. oh yeah well, if we're talking about the last decade or so yeah, absolutely yeah, the last decade he, TNA all that shit he's, you know, stick him in the mid card in the WWE in like 2002 where he was that doesn't really offend me all that much but again any, anything more and it's just like when you've got the alternatives that's always the thing with Dream I always think about it's like mm. look at the alternatives on the roster at the same time as Dream and I find it it would have to be personally a guilty player if I endorse this guy over X, Y, and Z, I'd rather fucking watch Patterson Briscoe have <laughs> an evening gown Iron Man match. They have to suffer this. You actually properly stated now you'd rather watch one old man shove a banana into another old man's mouth than watch Tommy Dreamer. I'd rather have pa- Patterson shove a banana in my anus than have to sit through <laughs> another Tommy Dreamer match, promo, five second clip. Anything. If you, I swear to God, if you don't, if you don't put your arms down, I'm going to pull them off. <laughs> well, thank you for your contribution. <laughs> uh, a, a, a guilty pleasure to him. Although, again, he's not the only one. There's a lot of people who don't even feel guilty about their no. dream of love. So, no. uh, as we move along here, Stephen stamps on the Facebook page. That's quite an obscure one, but I used to love X Factor. And to this day, I can- <laughs> oh, they had awesome music. <laughs> I can only think it's because of that bloody Uncle Cracker and his music. I don't think they ever did anything of note, and God knows who decided the world needed a stable consisting of X-Pac, Albert, and Just Incredible. But for some reason, I really enjoyed it. Personally, I wouldn't listen to a word I say, though, uh, <laughs> as I thought too cool or awesome and marked like a bitch when they finally won the tag titles. Man, I'm such a dick. <laughs> uh, Harmonic Generate on the UK fan forum says the same one. Uh, the best thing about the otherwise eternally gormless Just Incredible and general 
generally rubbish Albert would ever do. Not the highlight of X-Pac's career, granted, but I still really liked him throughout this run. Plus he was having crackers with the likes of Kidman and Tajiri not long after it, so he was still good. X-Factor were great. It was really good having X-Pac as the leader of a group rather than just a member, and they fitted into the mid-card very nicely for me. And their music. It was terrible, but I bet you can still remember how it goes, which is more than I can say of half the current roster's music, and it was 15 years ago. I can't remember the words, but I remember the I got everything I ever wanted, and I'll never give that back. I know you hate X-Factor. Yeah. That might not see the light of day, but X-Factor was a guilty pleasure. I actually was quite... I thought X-Pac Incredible is a duo, so you know, they had promise when Incredible first came in, and then Albert comes along, it's like, oh, you're lumbering this fucking useless dude with him. You didn't want the hip-hop hippo. No, I didn't. Oddly enough. (laughs) Fandom of X-Factor, does this have to be a guilty pleasure? I don't know if it it leans just into guilty pleasures of random thrown-together stables full stop, like, you know, whenever you get... The cabinet. Yeah, bizarre (laughs) mix of rubbish people. Yeah. No, no, no. no. no, Here's the counterpoint. Which one's more of a guilty pleasure or or a Tommy Dreamer uh, dog shit, right? (laughs) X-Factor or Lowdown? <laughs> D-Lo and Chaz, the tag yeah. team, oh, and Sing. <laughs> yeah, it's like that, that, that's that's. I think that would have to be an actual true guilty pleasure because they did nothing of any of any merit, and, and their stuff is like the Indian <laughs> tag team was. Just... They tried though. I watched every fucking one of those heats where those guys were fucking there. Not not willingly. I was just watching heat to see the, what the latest news was. But every fucking time, every week. <laughs> It's Brown, Chaz, Chaz, whatever his fucking name is, no one cares. And Sing, it's oh god, that's painful. Yeah, I don't like Tiger Alley Sing at all. But uh, turban on, it's like what's going on? Yeah, what a waste. Uh, Harmonic Generator also said squash matches and battle royals. I love a squash match and I love a battle royal. Give me a big powerhouse like Sid or the Steiners or the Brothers of Destruction or Ryback pummeling a nobody for ninety seconds, and I'll take it over a twenty-minute indie wank fest any day, especially (laughs) if it ends with a choke slam or power bomb. As for battle royals, I don't know why I like them so much, but I just do. They're inoffensive, easy watches. They're fun, they're never long, they'll never get plaudits, but damn it, I'd miss them if they went away. It's a shame that Carl's not here, because he'd be, uh, that, that would really stick in his craw. Yeah, mm. battle royals are never fun. <laughs> they're always boring. They always seem like they go too long. And you can't tell anything that's happening, uh, mainly because nothing ever happens. Yeah, <laughs> no one does anything. So, no, I can't agree with that. What was the first one? Squash uh, matches. Squash matches. Yeah, yeah of course. I love a good squash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. If if, 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 yeah, if, if Vader's coming down the aisle and then it's, you know, currently yeah. in the ring his opponent yeah. Scott. Be a squash match. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like that's just that's just asking for greatness. Battle Royals, I'm I'm actually when I was younger, I loved Battle Royals. I was obsessed with Battle Royals. I don't know why. I can't really explain it, but there's like a the, the Bash in the USA videotape had a forty man battle royal <laughs> and I thought this was gonna be the greatest match of all time until I see the guys walk into the ring one after the other and it's just like a parade of stiffs is there, is the there like any great example of a battle royal in wrestling like, you know is there a standout that people would stand and go oh yeah but you should watch that one or not a royal rumble not an no, 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 fair, no, no proper like everyone in the ring at the start job oh god there's probably been a couple where when it's come down to the last two it's been it's gone yeah. alright I would say I one, couldn't one thing you. I will say is that the for anyone who, who grew up of a certain age watching um British independent wrestling shows the mother of all battle royals is the everyone who's already wrestled on the show back for the battle royal at the <laughs> yeah. end of the card they were always great just to get guys pulling double duty there's no, there's no need to do that in the past tense they still do it yeah. <laughs> nah, a star for battle royal is like watching a bunch of ants try to fight over a lump of sugar or something you just can't <laughs> tell what's going on I figured it Gimmick Battle Royal WrestleMania 17. That's the winner. That's the <laughs> example of it. That's great. Just because it was all entrances and over. Brilliant. And, and <laughs> Sheiky Baby won. 
Pitzel on the UK fan form for his guilty pleasure says Giants in wrestling I'm not just talking about your Andres and your large wrestlers who can actually work a decent match there's just something badass about watching a seven footer lumber around the ring I remember being in awe when I first saw the great Carly and I think the only saving grace of the Gonzalez Undertaker match for Mania 9 is the spectacle of Undertaker being totally dwarfed they may lose their charm the longer they stick around but they're a big part of the freak show element of pro wrestling which I love I see no pleasure guilty or otherwise in watching giant Gonzalez in in any fashion okay I'm on to those to the other side of the table before I chime in I'm curious just to see what you guys think about just the general mentality of needing freaks um yeah there's always a place for freaks in wrestling all shapes and sizes different, different is good at the end of the day the litany when there's a litany of them and the so shit and it's counterproductive you know it takes away from having a real good one so in principle no absolutely not I mean even if you have a couple of shit ones and that you don't push them as yeah. impeding the rest of the roster the Kurgans of the world yeah well, <laughs> I had no problem with him in the, the oddities <laughs> in the oddities he, he wasn't you know compare that to when he's in the truth commission and he's getting you know he's, he's an actual serious push yeah then that's there's a difference yeah. keep a freak in the cage that's what I say yeah the thing that's always fascinated me, me with giants in wrestling is the degrees of giantism in wrestling like when you stop and think about guys the size of Hogan and Rock these guys are huge you know they're already huge people if they stood next to any of us but then you have people like Nash gets that next sort of degree and then you get to the, the Andres the Carlis and, and, and things like that and, and it's that sort of like often the, the taller they get the shitter they get as it progresses <laughs> um, and that's like yeah there's always exceptions to all that's a fairly good rule um, you know the taller they get the, the more immobile limited etc so it never was a big thing for me but you know I, I always just thought oh, great here they come like someone like Big Show is actually quite an anomaly because yeah. like okay I'm not, I'm not turning around and saying he's fucking Kurt Angle or anything but the guy <laughs> <laughs> but the guy can, but the guy can move. But considering yeah. his size and his weight, the guy can move around. So he is quite anomaly on that point. Um, speaking of big men, and, and this seems like a bit of a softball. No pun intended. Sid, hey. because Sid Vicious was the single most <laughs> suggested guilty pleasure that we got on all the forums. I couldn't believe it. The Condor on TPWW says, Sid, nothing more, nothing less. Egar on Pro Wrestling Only says, he's one of my ten favourite wrestlers ever, and I will go on jaunts watching him squash guys and cut his insane promos fairly regularly. Uh, Matthew Holland on the Facebook page says, I genuinely enjoy his work from 96-97. Him and HBK from Survivor Series 96 is my all-time favourite match. Granted, he's carried, but he's mega over. Grappling Apple on Pro Wrestling Only says, I love Sid, unabashedly. Whenever he used to show up in a promotion, I would be excited. All the 80s monsters I love, like One Man Gang, Kamala, LaDuke, Big John Sturd, Big Bubba Rogers, Bundy, etc. I always loved it when guys were portrayed as unstoppable, I guess somewhat tying into what we just said. Uh, capital T Truth on Pro Wrestling only says, I love me some Sid Vicious, and usually enjoy watching him. I'm not going to say he's great, or even good really, but I do think he's better than the general narrative frames him. He worked pretty hard and was very limited, but when someone really worked with him and played to his strengths, he wasn't bad. I honestly think he was asked to do far too much, and the people in charge were far too often not conscious of his limitations. He has absolutely elite presence and brings a lot to my general enjoyment of wrestling by being a fucking giant crazy person. An air raid of the UK fan form says, I genuinely fucking loved Sid. I marked out like an idiot when he powerbombed someone and I could happily watch him beat the shit out of anyone. I don't even mean a squash match to the standards of the legendary Lee Scott match, which is a, a, a glorious shit kicking. Uh, I mean utter shit like when he squashed Aldo Montoya on his first Superstars match since turning on Sean. I didn't care that his selling was a bit naff and his punches looked daft. I loved watching him choke slam and powerbomb someone half to death. Bonus points for a 
press slam, a million stars for a whirly bird. His twatting of Bradshaw on Raw after he came back as a babyface, I went nuts for. DQ finish? Don't care. He splattered Bradshaw like the shite hawk I thought he was and would forever think he was. <laughs> By the time he got in the ring with HBK at Survivor Series 96, I was frothing at the gash to see him beat Sean. Largely, perhaps, to the fact that I despised the boy toy at the time, having supplanted my hero at the top of the card. If Brett wasn't going to get an immediate crack at taking the belt back from his homosexual nemesis, and he, put, <laughs> and he notes childhood, he says there, childhood homophobia, now long gone but preserved for historical accuracy only, then Sid would be my guy. I was enraptured watching him hurl Michaels around the ring like a ragdoll and murder some of Shawn Michaels' lamest childhood hatred of Michaels preserve for historical accuracy comeback spots the skin the cat the nip up the quit the big man himself shortly after belting him with a camera fuck you I jumped for joy when Sid lamped the little shit with a match winning powerbomb best of all right after Survivor's Ed on the delay on Sky Sports on a night I know you remember Liam I got to see the mighty new WWF champion in all his glory live and in person at the NEC in the ring with a loser like Farouk Sid gave him exactly what he deserved an utter twatting I continued to mark for Sid long after I should even crushing the Dudleys and powerbombing poor Spike off the ramp in ECW, I got a massive kick out of Sid hammering people. It was only when WCW decided he was still a national-level main event player deep into 1999, when Stone Cold was running the show on Raw, that I lost my conviction that Sid was great. But I still marked out like a complete idiot when he got to Lamp Heath Slater all not all that long ago. There was just something about that big dumb guy in his powerbomb that I always loved. That's some fantastic feedback there. That's some good stuff. Yeah, Sid's such a strange one. For me, the first time I was ever exposed to him was um, doing the, the sort of jobber killing call 911. And um, the WWF. Down in WWF. Uh, and I'd never seen him before. I probably had seen a, a Galoob action figure of him, uh, but I was just fascinated by him. I thought he was crazy. And, you know, it, didn't it all build towards him calling Hogan out? And, yeah. And, you know, that was great. You know, at the time, I remember sort of thinking, you know, that, that match really that they had in the end was only a, 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 a perfectly timed Papa Shango running away from a five star classic. So, <laughs> oh, um, come on. <laughs> come but on. no, uh, and then even to the point where when um, WCW first started getting shown um, on Worldwide over here, I can still remember. Remember friends of mine who didn't watch WF at the time saying, "Oh, Sid's back. He's the Millennium Man." <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. You know, but obviously, you know, to, to the the feedbacks, um, a tribute there. When I heard he came back and, and, and did that number on Heath Slater, I was like, "Get me on the fucking YouTube right now," because I wanted to see. You know, he he does have. Um, you know, and the feedback didn't even mention the leg exploding uh, jump off the middle rope. So, you know, and, and that's a purely, you know, YouTubeable sim. <laughs> but no, he, I can understand it. It's it as a guilty pleasure, absolutely. No, just because he's so lampooned by pretty much yeah. everybody. The, the, yeah, it, Sid is, is practically the gift that keeps on giving, really, with all these certain, like <laughs> stories. Even if they're not true, it doesn't matter because I want to make them true. Sid's one of these kind of frustrating things where, like, if you were to forget that he's an idiot. And that his matches are poor. <laughs> Look, looking at him, he looks the fucking business. Like no, he's got one of the best looks of looks of all time. I'm not just talking from the height, but the physique. Like his physique was always like cut the for for a big guy. Sure. The eyes, the hair, and so on. Everything always looked great about him. And and he, in all fairness to him, he, he, as far as I'm always saw, he always hit a good choke slam and a power bomb. He could do those two moves. It's well, two well less done than him. Kevin Nash. Was yeah. yeah, well, but uh, but you know, so, so he can at least do those. Well, he is half the man he is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's um. Aren't we all? So, so there was elements to him where where you, we saw something like big in him, but he was so fucking limited. He didn't have the brain for the business. He didn't have the fucking commitment. I think he said that like he was hard working. How's oh, he fucking hard working? He <laughs> took fucking time off uh, months at a time for softball season. Yeah, he works hard on his fastball. Yeah, it's just it's just. Uh, uh, 
the, the guy wasn't dedicated. He had a kind of poor attitude as well. But uh, I remember when I was young, I saw him as, as Sid Justice, and I was kind of like, ah, okay, this guy's all right. He's a big guy. He's quite cool. But it's it, it, it's actually strange. It wasn't until I started going back and looking at the videos of Psycho Sid, like that kind of run, and like you know, he mentions when he beat Shawn Michaels at, at Survivor Series. I'm, I'm a big fan of of that Survivor Series show. That kind of time period, I'm actually quite reminiscently fond of but just I just always remember the entrances and like the finishes always being great um, because I'm just I, I, I always will be one thing I will always say about Sid I've, I was always a mark for the music I know it's got nothing to do with him really but like that that Psycho Sid music and the way he would come out to it I thought that entrance every time I watched it I thought wow that's a fantastic entrance it's a shame he sucks <laughs> and it's a shame that you're looking into the eyes of not a psycho but a man child I will never forgive him for trying to stab my dad. <laughs> so, no. I don't think outside of the ring behaviour is really a factor in this. Yeah, guilty pleasures, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Even watching the Monday Night stuff back, it's like, man, what a great look this guy's got. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, he's fucking crazy. He's like, what a badass. And yeah, he looks great in a squash match. I had no problem with him. I just never enjoyed any of his matches that involved Shawn Michaels. And the theme of this discussion seems to be, I like Sid because Shawn Michaels is great. I just want to put that in there right now. My own thing, and this is why I can kind of relate to the listeners on this one, as a kid, I don't know why, but I loved the Powerbomb. The Powerbomb's like the coolest move in the oh, world yeah, yeah. to me as a kid. Vader and Sid in 93, and, and granted that's not a great benchmark of successful wrestling, but like, I, I loved... I love the way that someone just come out and just lamp jobbers yeah. and, and ditto Vader because they both just terrified the shit out of me yeah. and even when like you know uh, again watching you know, the WWF and seeing him you know, like you said there the 911 stuff that he used to do Sid in the build up phase of when he comes into a promotion can be great when he comes back at, at Slambury 93 and he beats Van Hammer in like a minute mm. oh that's his choice you know it's like he looks yeah. like a million dollars he, he kills people the, the match with Lee Scott that was mentioned there there's some squashes on Worldwide where they edited them to like go like 30 seconds so it's like literally chokeslam powerbomb that's, that's, that's your loss I, I can completely see why people get on board with this Sid act it's quite an interesting thing to talk about because like you said you know, the, the smart marky nature of the internet would, would have you believe that Sid is like one of the worst contributors to wrestling that there is but again there's an appeal with Sid and a lot of it is cosmetic and a lot of it's just the way he carried himself in the grand scheme of things to draw a line under Sid I would say in a business where multiple guys even multiple active guys on the same roster lay claim to be the best in the world I don't think being everybody's favourite guilty pleasure is the worst award you could ever win I think you know that's cool because it goes to show that despite his limitations people still recognise do you know what he had it somehow you know something he did right makes us all yeah. go yeah he was right <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much is it uh, Noid on TPWW has a couple here Hulk Hogan versus Shawn Michaels from SummerSlam 2005 I recently rewatched it drunk and it was hilarious and probably the best Hulk Hogan has looked in years uh, up to that point point. and come on Shawn should have been pissed off because Hogan changed the finish I think that match is underrated completely underrated Shawn at the end it makes that match a five-star match. In my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> the big boot, the big boot, when he just, just like, run around the ring. And then yeah, it it six times. Takes a bump, over. runs in a big circle, takes an extra bump. Yeah, it's great. That the whole match is, is him doing the overselling, but the thing is, like, that's it, it didn't even stand out until until after the fact when you kind of watch it back and you look you're looking at it through that kind of lens. The big boot was the only one where on the night I thought, okay, that's just completely preposterous. Yeah, I just finished Union. I wasn't actually even watching wrestling actively at the time, but whenever Shawn Michaels had matches, big matches, I would always, always get, get a hold of them and watch them. And I don't remember thinking anything about it at the time. I just remember thinking, because if you watch Mania 18, Rock sells 
Hogan's back rakes like Wolverine's just clawed him. You know, like, <laughs> it, I, I thought that was the point of what people did against him. At one point, I believe he drops to his knees. Yeah, he drops to his knees and sells it. You know, I thought that was what people did with Hogan. You oversold so that, you know, everything looked yeah, monstrous. Yeah. I, I honestly still think that match to this day. If you're not watching it with the head of looking for Sean doing the overselling and knowing the political sort of backside of it, it's, it's a great match. I, I did, totally would have it on my guilty pleasures. I don't even have to say it was guilty. Noid on TVW also says Jack Swagger's World Heavyweight Championship reign in 2010. What, what? Those goofy promos that sounded like a high school speech, him always toting his accolades, such as ballroom dancing champion and having a sandwich named after him, the Swaggy. Uh, he's a good wrestler too. Do you think him not really catching fire as world champion had anything to do with his losing streak to Santino Morella heading into the WrestleMania where he won Money in the Bank? Let's talk about some fancy booking scenarios there. If this is all feeling too long as a scenario for you guys just think no Kane as world heavyweight champion in 2010 is the alternative so uh, yeah Jack Swagger as world heavyweight champion was kind of a bit of a monumental failure as it turned out in the end Swagger getting nothing from it again though this is one of those things where you can't uh, yeah, how much blame do you really want to lay at Swagger uh, that, that they booked him pretty atrociously but in terms of like enjoyment I, I didn't mind the whole uh, kind of you know daddy Swagger <laughs> they had Bunkhouse Buck as his dad that was quite amusing when Swagger first came in I, I saw kind of like like, like at least a little something in him I didn't, didn't necessarily think he was like a world champion at first or anything but I thought like and I remember being c- both confused and happy as to his money in the bank win because I was happy because I actually liked the guy but confused due to the way they'd been booking him on the lead up to that and then when he wins the title I do remember those little those promos he did where he's got his um cabinet his uh, trophy cabinet in the ring and so on and displaying it and just thinking like this is not hitting the mark at all. It's not and a world champion. It's not a world champion, and and I'm frustrated because it wasn't. I don't think it. Yeah, I don't think it was Swagger's fault. That's that's the one thing I was getting from it because you know Swagger Swagger could go in the ring. It definitely had limitations on the mic, and guess what they used to do back in the day? They'll put him with a mouthpiece. For another person is completely different league, but you know they put Paul Heyman or Brock Lesnar. A guy who 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 at best kind of struggles now and again to to you know say what he wants to say, and and they just didn't do that with Swagger. They they did not give him the raft to help him kind of float in, in, on SmackDown. He just he just like fucking threw him a dead weight yeah. and just went yeah good luck kid. Enjoyed around the table Swagger starting or no. No? no not at all no not in the slightest. I don't, I don't know has he got a reputation of being okay in the ring okay mm. best he's nothing mm. no charisma can't talk. And the fact that every ever since then he's when he's on TV he's referred to as a former world champion yes, does shits on awful. every yeah. other world champion. So no, I cannot get any pleasure from yeah. Dark <laughs> Guilty or otherwise. PSF on the UK fan form says face doink the clown. Love the heel version as much as the next man, but as soon as he turned face, changed his music and added dink to the fray, I fucking loved him. Now, I would have only been 9 or 10 at the time of this happening, but I think I'm still immature enough now to believe that I would still be invested in the Doink Bigelow feud if it were to happen now as I was back then. Speaking of the Bigelow feud, I adored the match at Mania 10. The dynamic of the beast, a clown, a freak of a woman, and a tiny clown all involved in one match was too much for my little brain to take at the time, and I found it fucking hilarious. Guilty. Guilty for, for finding pleasure in this. No. I, but I do love seeing a midget get beaten up. Yeah. Whether it's Dink, that fucking little bull. El Torito. That blue midget monkey from Japan. Oh, yeah, that was Mexico. Uh, uh, Coming in. Sorry, yeah, yeah. 
I do love seeing a, a little girl get beaten up. <laughs> it's the same. How about, how about the time CM Punk did a spinning kick on Hornswoggle? That was yeah. quite good. Yeah, Hornswoggle was yeah, the one. Yeah, see, that's Punk's the guilty, one redeeming feature. That, that's the guilty pleasure, is where every, because I fucking hate Hornswoggle, right? So anytime they beat him up, it was always gold. Face doink, guilty pleasure for, 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 for liking him? Because I, even as a kid, I just, I didn't like, I don't know, there's something about the, the goofy glad-handing clown that kind of summed up the out-of-touch WWF and as, as I, was, I was a huge wrestling fan at the time so it didn't really bother me in the sense of oh it's just it's, it's, the product's not going forward I was, I was eight years old so you know what I mean but at the same time I didn't like it I didn't like the, I didn't like midget dink you know it's like it's just unf- yeah, it's comedy clown but they're not funny so what's the, the point the, the annoying thing is that it was based off the back of, of, of the heel run of a different person which playing was Doink yeah which yeah. was actually great that was like if with Matt Bourne if, if they'd kept him and they did the slow transition to a babyface. I think Matt could have done something like Maybe. that because because he would he would have tweeted. I think I would I would imagine seeing that he as good as he was with the heel thing I think he maybe could have found maybe something if they wanted to go in that direction he might have found some way to doing it where at least it wouldn't have been as cheesy but it's just the fact that they turn him babyface after the popularity of another wrestler who they perceive to them baby, it would, it's a, a babyface clown how is that not going to be cheesy <laughs> Jorgerman21 on WrestlingForum.com says Jeff Jarrett I don't know uh, everyone hates him but I like him uh, Nightrow on WrestlingForum.com says Double J Jeff Jarrett this was a bad gimmick but Jeff Jarrett made it work anyone else would have flopped with this like Jesse James did in 97 uh, even though he was the one that sang that fantastic with my baby tonight mm. I actually disliked Jarrett I hated his WCW and TNA main event runs I always thought he was a solid mid card but never main event material but the Double J gimmick and the misogynist angle in 99 were the only times I've ever enjoyed watching Jarrett I love the way he spoke with his cheery southern tone the cheery entrance music the strut the flashy hats and leather outfits he'd wear over his ring gear the ain't I great catchphrase the way he'd spell his name the only time I did not like the double J gimmick was when he used it in WCW 96 uh, the gimmick felt out of place in the company and in the four horsemen who were all about tradition and not cheesy ring gear like what Jarrett wore at the time this is what I can kind of echo in terms of as a kid I love Jarrett and the roadie I was, I was all on board with, uh, with double J it's funny reading the old observers of, of the Double J character from 95 and talking about how he's like being pushed way beyond this station how he's not over at all the live events and stuff like that it's like oh I thought the world of him at the time with the roadie Double J no Big Daddy yes <laughs> big, big, big Daddy in TNA and was it 2009 or 10 with Angle d- 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 yeah Double J Double M-A <laughs> I can't think of a single time I've enjoyed Jeff Jarrett Sean Michaels, it, in your house it, too. There's that a, name it's, again. It's the theme. It's, it's, show. it's just, oh, but even as a guilty pleasure one, because I didn't, I, I, I didn't like his his uh, double J run. That attire was just atrocious. That that's that's out of the wardrobe of Beefcake. It, it, it was just horrible. Slap nuts was even worse. Oh, actually, I quite like slap nuts. What, the, 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 word, the word or the push? Just, just the phrase, not just the push. The okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I thought Jarrett was a perfectly competent mid-cut, you know, what the guys... Yeah, you know, yeah, not everyone's a, a main event guy. So. Yeah, and, and that's it's, it's a, no different from really being at work. And you know when you work with someone mm-hmm. so long that they and, and a, a business feel they need to be promoted and pushed up, and you think, fuck, they were doing just a good job at the role mm-hmm. they did. What was wrong yeah. with them doing that and staying there? Mm-hmm. So I always think that where Jarrett fell apart was when they started pushing him further and further up. Uh, when I got back in in 99 I thought he was he was perfectly you know good as a, a good mid-card heel I think one thing I'll say probably that limits Jarrett and, and probably I fall in, in line with G on this is I've never liked him as a baby face you know I, I always think he's a guy who works way better as a heel mm. and I always think that people who only work one or the other 
do have a limited shelf life because part of the nature of wrestling is, is you flip, you flop, you know, every now and then. Not fresh. big show uh, style, but uh, yeah, no, and I've never liked him as, as a baby face. So. Moving on here, Soko, or Soko, uh, from uh, Pro Wrestling <laughs> Only, can't really tell, says, I like throwing on a few IRS matches every now and then for silly reasons. <laughs> I laugh every time he puts his opponent in a completely motionless two-minute headlock to kill commercial time. I love Vince mentioning a new tax book, article, magazine, or newspaper at the start of every match. The idea of a former tax collector turned wrestler is pretty funny. Always get a kick out of the crowd chanting Irwin at him. His matches are generally no better or worse than decent, but his opponent usually comes out looking good enough. People often use his tie to instigate offense against him. Why in God's name would he continue to wear it during matches? I suppose that might qualify as wrestling guilty pleasure. Yes, it certainly would. Even in his own endorsement of IRS here, he can't he can't push he can't push past the barrier of okay. <laughs> decent. This isn't part of the pleasure, this is definitely part of the guilty. Um, back in the early days of my youth, I, I did own uh, a few of those uh, action figures back in the day, and I remember specifically owning two of them. <clears throat> I owned IRS and the Mountie. They were What's two. The Mountie? There was uh, nothing now. <laughs> there was when you were a kid, but it's just um, yeah, those two IRS and the Mountie. I'm going to include them in this as well. Uh, the, the most ridiculous thing they they were kind of like guilty pleasures when I was younger. And um, I think I've already explained before, like how I was a fan of Big Boss Man and Mountie because I was a fan of like law enforcement in general and stuff. So I was like, pretty much like, and I was like an easy, I was pretty much like an easy sell on me. Like anyone who was a law enforcement, I was like, yeah, that guy's cool. Even I'm if it's just a fucking in the playground, at Jesus goes, oh, that kid's into dinosaurs. I was like, oh, that's the kid in the corner. He, he really into law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, 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 damn he's right. He's my best friend. Yeah, damn right. Um, but yeah, and just IRS. I can't even. I can't even remember why I liked IRS. It might have been because he wore a tie. Oh, I, 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 I honestly don't know why. He was just. But it's just like that's in my in my like simplistic. Like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's something about ties, I guess. And I hate wearing ties. There's, I don't know. There was something a bit weird about IRS and, and and people like the Mountie when I was a kid. Like people who you really shouldn't like because they were quite bland, and they weren't necessarily <laughs> exciting the ring, and they had like bland like. Wearing fucking really like selling this wearing like <laughs> fucking braces and tie is just it's just fucking like atrocious. But for some reason, I like I I like this guy enough to buy a fucking figure of him. <laughs> just like, just before I throw this across the table, I specifically remember my dad taking me to Woolworths to offer to buy me a figure and seeing nothing but IRS figures on the wall and saying no thanks, Dad. <laughs> Liam had a poly pocket that day. Yeah. <laughs> Holty, you got a bit of a built-in connection with IRS. Yeah, here? I've thrown this out before and we did gimmick. Was it bad yeah. gimmicks? Got bad gimmicks gone good? Was yeah. that? Uh, my dad was a tax man so I always thought IRS was the bomb we loved him in our house we thought he was fab Kieran please bring us back to reality you for me for like no. law enforcement no <laughs> just no thank you there might be maybe some perverse nostalgic pleasure gleaned from two second clips now because how fucking ridiculous it was at the time but no yeah. no G no yeah just the way you get in the mic and accuse everyone of being a tax cheat it's like the same act all the time it's, it's like not only did this guy have absolutely stinky slow ass boring matches he almost ma- he also made Ted DiBiase boring in Minnie Ink so I, I, he, he gets deducted extra points for that so certainly guilty pleasure if there's pleasure here I feel well, I always thought like he's got to at least be a badass because he like wore tight I, I more enjoyed Bobby Heenan always saying that it was his tongue yeah. <laughs> it's kind of by the tongue <laughs> 
Coffee on Pro Wrestling Only also says squash matches. It was mentioned earlier on, especially from hustlers like Sid Norton or Vader. It's fun to watch them slather some defenseless jobber, and you actually get to see finishers finish people in squash matches instead of everyone kicking out of everything. Goldberg is in this category too. That dude never failed to entertain me when he was just running through people. It wasn't until they tried to put him in 15 minute matches that I lost interest. Also, I love the fat guy's teetering spot where they got to keep hitting him to knock him off his feet. <laughs> so that's uh, a couple of odd ones there. Again, that's another, that's another Yoko special. Or, yeah, tied in the rope spots. You know, spots Andre, like that, yeah. that like, you know, work on specific guys. Quake, like, like Quake, a vivid image of Quake swinging his arms around yeah. trying to stay on his feet. Yeah. yeah there's some nostalgic value oh, there. Didn't like Earthquake. No, not he, a fan. He just looked like he stunk. <laughs> Fat biker or something yeah he does look like Uncle Pedo doesn't same, he same, yeah. same with Bastion Bugger yeah but that was, well. that was at least a gimmick yeah <laughs> yeah that was, he was supposed to be discussing <laughs> Quake does no, look really but, fucking but, sleazy but no, because, because he wore like really chafing pants yeah. and the fat folds will come out from underneath it's almost like he was a parody of John Tenter <laughs> <laughs> that's deep <laughs> J.R. Goldman on Pro Wrestling only says I unabashedly love the dynamic dudes there is something so charming about watching them go out there knowing full well they're going to die a thousand deaths and still try their best to act like people love it there's one paper where they come out and Johnny pulls the kid out of the crowd to play frisbee with him and the kid is fucking pissed that he has to interact with this doofus it's amazing do you know how shitty you have to be to make, make a kid getting picked up out of the crowd to interact with wrestlers not fun it's glorious but the best part is they just keep going and keep trying it's truly inspiring and admirable in a way <laughs> yeah I, I, can't, I can't say I share the, uh, the, the any kind of love or pleasure from the dynamic dudes other than Philadelphia booing them out the building against the Midnight Express <laughs> the, the, the dynamic dudes always strike me as one of those uh, semi-guilty pleasures of wrestling always being about five years behind what's cool like you know it's, it's the wrestlers always in a slight time warp and uh, that, that's kind of always reminds me of that. Like, they didn't even look like dynamic dudes at the time they no. were, like, look so. at these skateboarding guys with shorts and mullets yeah. Pat Dooley on the Facebook page says you know what I've been living with this for a decade and it's time to unburden myself I loved the spirit squad there, it's out there, I said it. Obviously, Nicky Nemeth is a star now, but Johnny Jeter was fantastic. Kenny Doan had all the potential in the world, as did Mike Mundo. Mitch was also there. I thought they were hilarious and had the tools to be a great mid-card heel shit-stirring group. Pairing them with the McMahons for their DX feud was obviously not going to get them over, and it destroyed them before they ever really got going. But man, I really enjoyed the hell out of them for the couple of months that they were a thing. It's a bit of a theme here, isn't it, really, that there's a lot of guilty pleasures that were great in the mid-card for their initial run that got pushed too far too hard, and that's what makes you have to put guilty in front of the pleasure. Um, and, and I think this is a perfect example of it. I thought they were great and, and quite enjoyed what they did up until the point where they suddenly started being in like you know mat, big matches on, up, further up pay-per-views, and then you just thought, what the hell's going on here? And there was only one way it could end then, which was completely cutting its head off at the neck sort of thing. So, Yeah, I really liked the Spirit Squad, to be honest. I, I, I remember them and thinking, like, yeah, there, there was a good portion of them that definitely did have talent. I remember thinking uh, uh, Ken Doan being, like, obviously the, the big the big guy of that, that group, you know, because he'd always be the one that does the the finish on, on, on the opponent with his, um, oh, his, his leg drop. He had a weird, like, really arch backs or whatever. Um, and so I was always entertained by them. And I think for, for me, even though the gimmick was, like, fucking atrocious, I don't know how, how they thought that was a good idea in 2006, but 
the, the one thing like I, what, what kind of endeared me to it was the commitment in which they played to it yeah, right totally. Austin Austin like on his podcast now always state that people today uh, or some uh, or some of the wrestlers today they don't they don't go out there and just try and make the best of what they've got but at least they kind of gave it you know the good old college try so to say I think the part that got damaged to him wasn't necessarily their, their, their quick elevation to the main event it was the people that they were working with it, it was Shawn Michaels and, and, and Triple H when, when the agenda is, is that they're going to get buried that, well, that's never going to help again though it goes to the fact that when you've got five cheerleaders in the ring you really have Shawn Michaels lose to five cheerleaders you know oh, what I mean? well, when, you, yeah. when you've got genuine stars and then you've got the cheerleaders yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a ceiling on the gimmick like that I, I agree with you absolutely on that in that case I, I will, I, what I'm saying is I wouldn't have had them face oh, sure. DX concur with the general feelings around the table and I would be lying if I didn't say if I didn't admit to uh, chanting shouting out the names at one or two indie shows in the past <laughs> randomly screaming Kenny yeah. Johnny Nikki yeah it was good stuff actually I, the thing about the Spirit Squad I loved at first was the fact that it was just like they just told them all individually come up with the stupidest dance you can possibly think of and do them all at the same time yeah. and it was, just, it was just fucking great you just see these guys just going for it uh, Spike on F4W message board says Nails Awful matches, but watching his attack on the boss man and destroying Sergeant Slaughter was so much fun. Absolutely terrified of him when he Oh yeah, I was you. absolutely pe- petrified of nails. Um, yeah, would definitely accept this as a, as a guilty pleasure. I don't even know if... Yeah, it's kind of got to be it's a guilty, guilty pleasure because he was so awful. awful afterwards. But yeah, those initial promos <laughs> and that first beat down brilliant stuff there's that thing where like when the new thing comes along and it's packaged differently and it's interesting it's like I didn't even mind the fact but yeah, yeah, yeah. as a kid all I saw was that this guy doesn't wrestle the way the other wrestlers wrestle because he's a convict yeah, he, yeah he's, he's, he's sloppy as shit he just chokes people out and that's the finish he's like a, he's like a real he's like a street fighting killer or something like that if Nails is actually Nails as in Ard <laughs> how hard must Vince McMahon be to sexually abuse <laughs> We mocked the toughness. Really hard. We mocked the projected toughness of the McMahon family, but yeah. we may have stumbled across the truth here. We'll come to this more in the timeline next week uh, I, I, on Vince's yeah. toughness. I can't wait to get I, to that. I did not have that same feeling as you guys. I I couldn't get any any pleasure from from this guy. It's than I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh well, hold on a minute. Um, but I certainly, I certainly, uh, I certainly think he's guilty of looking like a freaking arm sniffer. He's a fucking cross-eyed looking motherfucker. This guy would be, this guy would be perfectly at home in the Wyatts right now. He'd just be such a fit for them. Every time I watch this guy now, I just kind of smirk, doing, knowing like what happened to him. And all, and also, also just looking at him, just thinking like, one, I know what's happened to him. Two, what the fuck did anyone see in him? And not only that, number three, WCW paid him 150 grand a year to <laughs> yes! fuck all in 1998. Oh, S. Doyle Grange on the Facebook page says, "My biggest guilty pleasure can be summed up in four numbers: 1995, a trash mania, and a King of the Ring not worthy of a garbage bin do nothing to sway my love for Sean Razor, Brett, and the often overlooked Hakushi. Sure, the roars looked like they were filmed in high school gymnasiums, and Diesel's title reign left plenty to be desired, but the nostalgia." attached to this era will always make this year in particular feel like a childhood home I can revisit whenever I want and uh, N-E-W-M on the uh, UK fan forum says 95 WWF but I'm not super guilty about it because I think it's absolutely bastard awesome aside from the raft of quality matches littered throughout this year mainly because Sean and Brett are both having the in-ring runs of their lives around this time I'm a big fan of Diesel as world champion even if he's got to shoulder the blame for tanking the numbers I loved his character as a kid and though I can now see how softening him was really detrimental I think Nash is ace enough to make big Daddy Cool a believable gimmick. Visually, the show is also pleasing. There's something great about WWE experimenting with smoke, pyro, and lights a bit more, especially in some of the dimly lit school gyms that are having to run 
Kane shows from back in the dark days. It's all got a sharper, colourful edge to it because they, the roster is still early 90s gimmicked up the arse, but production value seemed to improve in an attempt to make it seem like everything was A-OK when it was all collapsing and Vince was getting the water coolers taken out of Titan Towers to save a few quid. And their uh, old country way on WrestlingForum.com says the entire new generation period holds a lot of nostalgia for me. I'd already been into wrestling for a while, but around this time I was about 12 or 13 and starting to get really into wrestling. Little did I realise that this was actually considered a poor period, but I even like 95. Something I can uh, empathise with is, is liking a year that other people would have questions of a guilty yeah. pleasure of mine. I, I can't remember if I actually mentioned this w- with you guys on a previous podcast, but I've, I've certainly mentioned to you um, uh, when the mics have been off, Liam, about having this strange liking for 2006. And I, I know we've just done a podcast recently where we're trying to fix 2006 <laughs> and a debacle it was. And I know it's a debacle. I know how bad stuff was during that year. But for some reason, when if someone tells me, like, what do you think of the year 2006? I smile instantly. I start thinking of, like, mainly Edge. Mainly Edge becoming a star. I, th- I think of the Spirit Squad. I think, I think of DX coming back. Um, ECW. Um, Mick, Mick Foley wrestling again. I think a lot of things that are in there. And I kind of often ignore the negatives of that year. And end up always thinking about the positives. Even though I know 2006 was a god-awful year. We actually had to fix it recently yeah. in a podcast. And so uh, whilst I, I can't... Um, I can't talk about 95 specifically. I can understand where he's coming from, where picking a year which everybody else generally hates, but for some reason you just have some sort of attachment to. Yeah, it's tight in here. B Maxim on F4W also said 2006 WWE. Can't wait to watch the shit out of that on the network when it finally gets on there. As for 95, I can kind of see his point as well because th- this was the era I was really becoming a hardcore fan and I-, I think part of it was that I didn't have immediate access to everything back then, so I'm getting it in drips and drabs and the, the stuff I'm getting, I'm-, I'm not discerning enough to not like it at the time, to be quite honest. I just loved anything wrestling so uh, I, I think that's part of it yeah similar emotion really Shawn Michaels I really did like Shawn Stubble in your house too Stubble yeah yeah he, he carried that for a while didn't he yeah like that yeah then he got battered by the marines and he shaved it off bastard marines <laughs> uh, SD Laffle on the FOW board says Lord Tenzai for me he felt like a total throwback to the new generation era which as bad as it could be is my nostalgic sweet spot the samurai gear the Japanese promos the karate poses the abused sycophant it was all there he had a good push when he debuted but overall he was destined to be shat on by the crowd too bad I remember he had a really good stiff as hell match with Sheamus on a random Smackdown once <laughs> no guilty, guilty pleasure though oh, right? absolutely yeah. has, has to be guilty I remember Tom Campbell who has been mentioned as a feedback contributor on this show before <laughs> loved Tenzai at first he was all aboard the Tenzai he was all aboard the A-Train if you will the wheels kind of fell off this little red wagon pretty quick and rightfully so because I thought it was awful he looked like a fucking overgrown baby in those tight red pants shiny tight red pants I I hated the Tenzai gimmick but I guess there's maybe a guilty pleasure in, in Matt Bloom. I, I think uh, somewhere along the lines, there's there's, uh, there's been a lot of bad shit that he's been part of. Tenzai being one of them. We've also mentioned X Factor, uh, Hip Hop Hippo, whatever. There, there's been numerous things which I don't like. But there's also been times where I didn't necessarily think he was like going to be a big star or anything like that. But I found a certain degree of enjoyment from him. I thought I thought I, I kind of strangely like the TNA tag team. I didn't say TNA, but that is solely because Trish Strauss talking about Wood. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, does Tr- it for me? Yeah. Tr- Trish and the fact that I still had some hope that Tess yeah. might be something one day. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed well, it. Dead. Oh, <laughs> oh come on, I, will you stop? I, I enjoyed the TNA tag team. I, I, I liked him as a train. Um, I think probably where most of my, my my opinions changed, where the guilty pleasure came for for Albert. 
was when he went to Japan and saw a lot of his stuff over there. He was booked a lot better over in, oh. in New Japan. But you don't, you don't even know and, and, so, and so he became a little bit of a, you could maybe say a bit of a guilty pleasure for but him. But I kind of liked that's, him a lot more. That's than, the thing though. If, if it's a change, to me, guilty pleasure has been talking about so far is something that you know is bad. You're, you're, you're falling in, you're liking a guy mm. because he's changed to something you don't have to feel guilty about anymore, in essence, right? Because it's not like the hip hop hippo period. That would be a guilty pleasure. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because not many people knew of his work in New Japan. So like, if I turn around and still said like, oh, I liked, I like, I like A Train now. People and, like, look at be, you with scorn. People look at me, go, what? <laughs> Fucking A Train? Because they may not, you they wouldn't have been guilty. familiar with New Japan. Dude, don't feel guilty about what the people think. If you, if you feel it, you have a bit of conviction. <laughs> Grow a spine. I will go first week of the Funkasaurus. <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was funny. Wait, wait, Bro displays Funkasaurus. Yeah. That's a, that's a guilty pleasure for me. The first couple of weeks, actually. First few weeks, I was like, I mean, that second week when he started dusting up before the match starts, like they got something with this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've really got something. They just let him be him. Yeah, and while, while I'm on, yeah, just individuals, I'm just gonna go Charles Wright in general. Charles Wright, because Papa Shango. I, really, I didn't hate Papa Shango. I remember being in, in primary school and like, oh, he made oil come out of someone's hair or oh he made the ultimate warrior sick <laughs> and and he made Gene Oakland shit's pants and you know yeah. come on the godfather I mean he's a pimp <laughs> come on yeah who, come who, who, on who can, that's like the easiest gimmick in the world to get and over Kakama the ultimate fight machine years ahead of its time years ahead of its time <laughs> and looked alright kind of in a magazine although he, in retrospect he does look like uh, what's his name is it Craig Robin, Robertson Robinson the guy from black guy from uh, East Bang Down oh right no okay yeah I know you mean <laughs> from <like> Craig Charles that's what I thought you meant think, think of other, other random people like that this, this is a guilty pleasure someone I always like but I don't know whether he's polarising enough so I'll let you judge on this but I mentioned before <laughs> how uh, back when I was getting back into wrestling in 2000 right and all we really had outside the, the four pay-per-views that were allocated here in the UK on Channel 4 we had Heat all the time and so because of that a big wrestler for us that we absolutely loved because he was the only motherfucker who was on the heat regularly was low down other than low down <laughs> fuck me uh, other than low down was S.A. Rios he was so fucking over with me and my friends <laughs> and like he was never like a big star because he was, he, was he was rarely ever given opportunities on, on the main roster on the Raws and Smackdown but he was always on heat he was always uh, he's never in squash matches he was usually in the main event of heat just wrestling like Val Venus or something ra random like that we fucking marked out like ridiculous kids when he made it onto the Backlash 2000 show against Eddie Guerrero there's a lot of matches on that Backlash show that I love obviously Rockman in the title there's lots of great matches but my personal highlight of that show was S.A. Rios versus Eddie Guerrero for the European title just because at the time we were such marks we loved Eddie as well but we were such marks for S.A. Rios this was like this <laughs> This almost felt like a big time match for us because it's like the guy who we've been watching every week on Heat, yeah. he's finally made yeah. it and he's going to get a chance at a title. He was your Nakamura. <laughs> <He> was <laughs> Paul Reeves on the Facebook page. Daddy Reeves is Hello. in. Wrestling's the greased up deaf guy himself. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one. Wrestling's full of guilty pleasures, but that's my overall love of it. It's one big sleazy cartoon ecosystem that I hate to see homogenised to the point where we don't get any truly great wrestle crap anymore. The part I immediately think of in terms of guilt, and I hate to be a Debbie Downer, is the violence. Specifically the very hard-hitting style that I was brought up on and got me hooked on wrestling in the first place. I've grown old enough now to see all my childhood heroes and favourites die very young 
or end up in a really pitiful state because of the way they performed in less informed times. That said though, the lack of a truly physical style really does kill my enjoyment of the product. How can I buy a modern day face that's been through hell without quitting when I've seen Foley at the Rumble 99? How can I buy into an aggressively athletic match by today's standards when I've watched the likes of Benoit and Misawa? Who can honestly say they didn't think that Brock and Reigns at Mania wasn't massively enhanced by Brock bleeding? It added an extra wrinkle to the story that would have been lacking otherwise. The industry's moved <coughs> towards higher standards of care and safety for the workers, which is long overdue. But if I want to really enjoy a wrestling match, I still have to refer to old tapes and watch the wild men of yesteryear pissing blood out their foreheads and dropping each other on their heads. I just feel a lot guiltier for it. So that's an interesting one there. Who knew Pablo was so sensitive? He is, and but there you go. So articulate. Yes, <laughs> that's what I was going to say as well. But yeah, so uh, an interesting one because this is echoed uh, a little bit later on, I think. Uh, Lone Ranger 1 on WrestleMania.com says the Rock Mankind I Quit match at the 99 Royal Rumble. I don't feel like it gets a whole heap of scorn, but for me, watching Mankind get handcuffed and beaten with a chair over and over went way beyond that line in the sand, yet there's a hardcore element to me that enjoys watching Mankind soak up such brutal punishment. So again, at the time, it's like the chair shots to the head thing you know this was a part of wrestling that was very kind of uh, endearing in the late 90s to some respects and yeah taking it away completely now I, I see uh, I see the point with the in terms of uh, the uh, I quit match that was mentioned um, uh, certainly the guilty part coming from now seeing the state of uh, the Mick Foley and so on and the scene and, and also the kind of bit of the story about like how the rock mayor took maybe a bit of liberties with the, the amount of chair shots or whatever <laughs> but all, all I remember at the time is just loving this match this was one, one, of, one of the series of first matches I saw the rock in and just the more I watched the rock the more I loved it and I just loved the fact that uh, particularly in this match he just beat the fuck out of Foley but it's that thing he just though. kicked the shit out of but him but that's the thing it's like th- these were the matches Hell in a Cell and the I Quit match these yeah. are the matches you showed people like when yeah. you are trying to get them into yeah, wrestling yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying yeah, I but, don't feel uh, guilty uh, about it at all no <laughs> no, no I, you don't and no fuck so I've got to say this again that was Foley's idea he only because his kids were crying afterwards and he, he wanted to blow off his wife that night <laughs> he said I didn't exp- it wasn't, that wasn't planned no fucking way okay so the, the angle is Mick Foley's getting knocked out but he's the toughest man and he can take all the pain of course he, in his mind he needs to be hit with something brutal to, to get the angle over it was his idea don't blame the rock it is Paul's point there kind of valid in the sense of yeah, all those yeah, the, the, the suplexes on the head when you watch Masawa Kabashi but you know that Masawa died because he got pretty much decapitated inside his own body because of, of, of all the damage mm-hmm. his neck took things like that is, is that something that uh, you know, Benoit too when you see Benoit taking chair shots when you watch old matches yeah. back it, you do get that kind of feeling in the pit of your stomach yeah. is that a prevalent thing around the table? it's a very valid point but to from a personal perspective it is one that I block out of my mind you enjoy it yeah, you're yeah. wrestling on yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I definitely think this is a, those are the matches that you kind of grew up on I mean you, you mentioned briefly about like like matches like the I quit matches are the matches you would show with, with, with my girlfriend you know like I was, I was like showing she wanted to get into some of the wrestling so I was showing her uh, some wrestling and I, I, did, I didn't show a, a freaking uh, Ric Flair steamboat <laughs> I, I didn't show a, a, like a Benoit Kurt Angle from Rumble 2003 I showed a fucking Hell in a Cell from King of the Ring 98 I, sh- I showed her the I Quit match mm-hmm. from, from Rumble 99 I showed her the, from the, the, the Royal Rumble street fight from 2000 I showed her these matches because they're the ones that, that come across as so realistic that it's like okay if I'm going to try and engage someone who doesn't really follow wrestling doesn't really quite get it or why, what the allure is I'm going to show her something that at least is the most convincingly real thing I could find see this plays into Paul's for earlier point of a general guilt at liking wrestling or at least admission of it to the general population 
So you're trying to justify your love of pro wrestling by showing something that looks real and cool and yes. violent. Daddy Reeves also says, Sod it, I'm saying it, the Katie Vick angle was way funnier than anyone wants to admit. Also, the collateral damage was Kane, which I'm fairly certain everyone's okay with. For me, it brings back memories of my Catholic Irish dad walking in on me watching wrestling every time something cringeworthy came on. So Katie Vick angle is a guilty pleasure. <laughs> saying my Catholic Irish dad having sex with me or something. Poor. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Explains a lot. Yeah. Um, also here, Winged Eagle on Pro Wrestling only just to tie into that said stiff chair shots to the head when not overdone. My God, they are so brutal and intense and almost always kick things up another gear when used sparringly but not cool and really shouldn't be done. Will not complain if I never see another. But watching old footage, pow. So uh, there you go again, reinforcing that that point. Don't. It's a guilty. I, I'm not chair shots to the head. There's no need for them. You can get away with um, body shots and stuff. Bleeding though at the right time in oh, the for big sure. match. That's not even a guilty pleasure, it just should be done. It's, yes, so. it's, it's wrong not to do it. It's wrong! Wrong! <laughs> StevieG1980 on the UK fan form says, Lex Luger Nitro Squashes. I can't get enough of watching Flexi Lexi clothesline power slam and rack the likes of Rick Fuller, T Rantula and Roadblock. For the late part of 96 to late 97, I was a huge fan. I went nuts when he beat Hogan at the Palace of Auburn Hills, and early into our relationship, my missus caught me doing the Luger poses during his entrance on a Nitro match. She wondered why she still wanted kids with me. Thank God I knocked her up soon after so she couldn't continue that thought. Oh, and Alex writes techno music. Yes! <laughs> Just awesome. Yes. I, I'm kind of down with the Luger lovers. I don't know why. Squash matches work. Squash matches work. Watching Luger get roadblock in the rack after failing uh, see, three no, times. No, no, no. It, WCW Luger I had no interest in. Really? Yeah. But Lex Express. <laughs> I was on board. That's it. That's your guilty pleasure. I was on board with the Lex Express. There you go. <laughs> I bought a first class I, ticket. Yeah, Hopefully I, it wasn't round trip. I had to get a taxi home. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 always en- I always enjoy Lex Luger, but no, the, the, gu- the guilty pleasure has just been announced right there. It's, it's Alex Wright. Uh, not just the music, but just like the general act and the guy himself. There's just something I generally like about the gimmick. I don't think it, it didn't, didn't work as a babyface gimmick at all, but I think as a heel gimmick, I think it's fucking hilarious. He just comes out with a fucking leather jacket in the pants and just starts dancing and gyrating to this this awful but yet brilliantly catchy fucking techno yeah. music. Oh, I'm, German I'm, techno. I'm playing it at the end of the show. Play it at the end of the show. It's just fucking magical. Richard Fox on the Facebook page says, Big, massive hoss matches. One of my favourites was the Warlord versus the Bulldog. I'm assuming he means from uh, Mania 7. As much as we all like and appreciate a technical masterclass or high-flying spot fest, it's always the big hard brute that I always think of when I think of the term pro wrestling. Hogan was mint. Earthquake was great. Warlord was the fucking boss. Also, camp bright colours, model Rick Martel's hot pink, crush in his yellow and purple, and Mr. Perfect in his luminous yellow, all superb. The vibrancy really made that superhero vibe pop. I did also really like Hawaiian Crush. Uh, yeah, Kona Crush is a bit of a guilty pleasure for yeah, me. Yeah, I that one. I, I think it, it does come down to the uh, the singlet. The colourful yeah, singlet. It was, yeah, because I had a bum bag, a, a fanny, pack, <laughs> fanny pack for you Americans of a similar colour yeah. scheme, I think. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely the colours. Plus the head crush. The head cr- mm. <laughs> um, Bulldog versus Warlord, yeah. When that was he, surprisingly fun, that When one. he broke that fucking full Nelson, that's the power of 
the bulldog that was. Yeah. Definitely the strongest man in the company. Come on, England. <laughs> England, England. <laughs> Blair Schmidt on Pro Wrestling Only also says battle royals. I know most people find them repetitive or boring, but there is something about them that I can't get enough of. I don't give a damn who is in them either. Men, women, midgets. Just give me a ring full of people trying to chuck each other over the top rope and I'm a happy boy. So uh, again, much like myself uh, as a child. Flying Brian on Pro Wrestling Only says, Good wrestlers in bad slash weird gimmicks. Brad Armstrong is a Ragnar man. Art Barr is the juicer. Hector Guerrero is Lasertron. Just on the note of the, the good wrestlers in bad gimmicks, his it, it, username is Flying Brian. How about Pillman is the yellow dog? That, that was a real, that was a real bad one in WCW. A- any, uh, any, anything that comes to mind that's like a good wrestler with a bad gimmick that always kind of stuck out to you as a, uh, kind of, maybe Flash Funk for me as well. I had, I, I had high hopes for Scorpio yeah, when he came in, yeah. so I kind of overlooked the uh, wacky music and the pimp, yeah, the pimp I, getter. And I liked the Scorpio. I loved Scorpio so much. I liked it. I liked Bagwell in the team with him. <laughs> so I also like Scorpio. Not really applicable. But I really didn't understand the point of Funk being Chainsaw Charlie. Yeah, yeah. well, actually, that's that is kind of appropriate, isn't it? The, yeah. the good wrestlers by gimmicks. Otto Demvans on the UK fan form says Bret Hart versus Yokozuna at WrestleMania Nine. I've been a wrestling fan for about fifteen years, but I failed to watch this match until about a couple of months ago when I watched all the Mania main events in the lead up to this year's card. I think I avoided it for so long as I'd only ever heard about how bad it was—a stinker of a main event, well in keeping with the atrocious nature of the Mania Nine card. But not a chance. I found it to be a really intriguing match with that classic Brett cinematic streak. Both men really got over the story of the plucky, undersized underdog against the much more powerful and dominant opponent, considering one man was more beached whale than human, was perfectly acceptable. The fact that Brett only loses because of that cheating foreigner Fuji gives Brett loads of sympathy going forward that sustains his ascent towards mega babyface or relatable star he got four good years out of. So it's not even as if the match is useless in the grand scheme of things, like some claim. It's also only eight minutes long, so it doesn't drag or feel a chore to sit through unlike any other matches I watched during that binge and as a disclaimer he says that this pick in no way whatsoever counts Hogan in Hogan's involvement at the end so I guess it's a standalone match uh, to be honest it's t- a bit of a throwaway as far as I remember it yeah I, no real problem or love for the match itself it's more not, not, not too much not too much guilt really to be had about the yeah. match because it's not like it's a stinker of a match yeah, just, yeah I don't I, no problem with the match it's just if anything I actually kind of like the creative yeah, yeah, Brett tying up his leg and the ropes and stuff like that to get yeah, the advantage yeah. there, there's some, there's some Decent stuff in there. It's been, uh, yeah, because I, I agree. I, I, I just never really thought anything more of it, just because the Hogan stuff completely overshadows anything, uh, almost anything that happens on that show. Full stop. Yeah. Bad news getting on TPWW. We'd have to touch on this one too much because uh, we have talked about this before. But he says, "I freaking love JBL as champion. It shouldn't even be called a guilty pleasure because a bunch of fat ass neck beard work rate snubs think he sucks." But uh, JBL does get a lot of love on the on TPWW forums, so I think it's uh, it's worth saying that I don't hate JBL. I, I, I I like. I think as as, as a character, a personality, he was great. He's brilliant. People love him now, but it was the push and the, the timing the of the elevation. Title reign. It was the, the long reign, but he wasn't over to start. He was not yeah. over. It, it was it was a mid card when he won the belt. Yeah, and obviously he was beating Eddie for it. So that doesn't sound great well. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just remember though on that note in terms of like. If he, yeah, they brought him back in the APA, and then they just did this. If they just brought him back after like six months away, and he started kind of like in that kind of middle range as a possible yeah. future threat, and he was doing the same level of promos, his promos are excellent. I remember he did one before the Great American Bash match with Eddie. But it's like, wow! If this wasn't Bradshaw, I might be really into this guy. You know what I mean? And that's what it comes down to. By the time WrestleMania 22 came around, I remember some people were kind of on the, the JBL bandwagon as soon as he lost the belt because they they kind of they appreciated him more in a lesser role. Okay. 
so it's not necessarily <laughs> him himself but uh, as a worker I'm, I'm, I can't really say too many good things about him either but there you go Dastardly Dale Newstead on TPWW so I guess he's no longer Gorgeous Dale um, it says for me my number one guilty pleasure is commentator Vince McMahon <laughs> he sounded like such a jackass but I get the ultimate kick out of him I actually do believe Vince is more like his commentator persona than he is his Mr. McMahon persona I envision him being a snarky passive aggressive bullshit shilling douchebag from devastating maneuvers to wild man Mark Mero to orgasming over anything Shawn Michaels did in 96 to laughing at some of his utterly inane comedy such as the brilliant work of that dickbag Jameson or his sad attempts to riff off the abortion that was Rob Bartlett I could listen to him all day what a cornball I'm going to challenge you one gentlemen of Squared Circle Gazette Radio to imagine everything Michael Cole and Byron Saxton say but instead in the cadence of commentator Vince McMahon when you do that everything begins to make sense <laughs> yeah I'll go with this one I, I at least he's know to tell the story that you want told yeah and he had passion and he's a great performer so yeah I understand I, 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 I'm, I'm on board with this I'm, I'm signing off on this one as, as, as a true guilty pleasure because yeah. by, by, by the standards of like you know, the, the great announcers of our time I can see why people don't like him but to me it's like it might be because I grew up with him like you know, yeah. Gorilla and Jesse Vince and Gorilla that kind of a thing um, or Vince and Jesse and I just I, I, I do have that same thing too I, Booker's tend to be very good commentators Bill Watts in the in, uh, in Mid-South was excellent because he knew the story he was trying to tell Vince is very much the same you, you know, what a manoeuvre unbelievable Sean Michaels I especially love it when like cool dramatic moments show. happen or maybe on, usually on entrances and his voice would go so high <laughs> yeah. Big Daddy Cool Bezel he's <laughs> like pulling on his pubes to get, <laughs> get, to get the emotion it, yeah it's, it's those moments where we would get like excited I think it, is it, oh god is it Mania is it Mania 11 or something I think it's like Lu- I think it's Luger's entrance when he's got like uh, his kind of bed no, no. And, you're and going to say Mania 10 it's Mania 10 so I know what you're going to say it's, 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 someone along the lines I'll kick you off in the next decade yeah. or someone like yes yes Lex Luger tonight's the night Lex Luger <laughs> <laughs> by the end of the match when Luger's actually been after perfect screwed him over or maybe not no, yeah. in our case that's our story and we're yeah. sticking to it yeah. Vincent Mann's like Lex Luger's just standing in the ring Defeated? <laughs> it's like you're not helping him. Kaz Hayashi on the UK fan form says, Mine is liking wrestlers or gimmicks that I probably shouldn't. The type that are usually held in low regard years later. I love the Sultan. He looked fucking boss with his piercing eyes, his red leather dust mask, and his Tong Po hairdo. When I first saw him, I didn't realise that he'd actually previously been shrinking heads or saying no to drugs. He just looked like a proper villain, and I thought he would have ripped through the upper card with Shiki and political Bob by his side. The same can be said for Karma, the Supreme Fighting Machine, the new Blackjacks, and Farouk Assad in his big blue shiny helmet. He looked like a villain from the Temple of Doom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I... I think taking any pleasure in the Sultan it can be termed guilty. I feel quite what, comfortable in saying that. The, the, the new blackjacks, I thought, might be a thing for about a week. The, no. <laughs> the, the, the Sultan was awful. Would 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 Rikishi be a guilty pleasure gimmick? Nah, because he was over. Like, over. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I was singing Too Cool before, and it's like, yeah. no. I like Too Cool. Yeah. Just watch 2000 cool. and seeing the whole crowd doing the claps. Yeah. Like, this act is brilliant. Yeah. I love that grandmaster sex, eh? Yeah, Brian, that's, a, that's a guilty pleasure. Brian Christopher in, ni- in 98 is a bit of an unsung hero to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's just fucking hilarious. I suppose from that era, 
Bradshaw when he was in the Black Jackson before that when he was Justin Hawk. Justin Hawk. It's like he cut only a couple of promos, but like this guy can talk. So why is he in such a shit gimmick? Yeah. In an APA when they were in Dallas once for a tag title match, I think. I don't know when, but fully loaded. Yeah, and he just cuts this monster promo about like the Von Erichs going to war with the Freebirds. This might be WrestleMania 17. There's another one at WrestleMania 17 where again it's because it's in Texas and it's in yeah. Houston where he really goes off on that Texas kick. So he, yeah, he, I'm trying to figure out. He might have done it both. He might have just done yeah. the while and getting across that. Yeah. But the only the only thing I've ever liked JBL doing is probably and this I'll go this down as a guilty pleasure and I won't go into too much details because funnily enough we're going to go into it next week but it's the uh, it, the only match I've ever liked him doing was him and Takamishinoku versus Kai and Tyre over the edge <laughs> it's one of the first matches I saw when getting back into wrestling just watching a big Texan guy booting a bunch of small Japanese guys was just somehow weirdly hilarious to just me did it for you yeah just- Dominate on TPWW says okay might as well get this out there I enjoyed when Jesse of Jesse and Festus fame got involved with crime time and became a wigger called Slam Master J and I also really enjoyed his almost universally panned entrance theme too. Uh, he follows that kind of bizarre one up with, I feel like Trevor Murdoch during his days when he's fighting with Lance Cade, leading to them breaking up, and Murdoch shortly lived singles run in WWE. It's often criminally overlooked. He could have gotten over huge in the mid-card and maybe even held the IC belt. <laughs> I was so disappointed when WWE just dropped him out of nowhere like a bad habit. I like Trevor Murdoch. Oh, Trevor Murdoch. Yeah. I, 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 I was always quite sad that Trevor Murdoch never got moved to ECW in 2006 because like, that, that's, that's a natural fit, the, uh, the, the broad type but yeah can't really say it's for uh, Slam Master J no. I, I just remember seeing him in like a squash match on Smackdown thinking that's not going to get over he's going to get fired within a year and he was fired within a year so XL from TPWW says the Taker versus Yoko casket match and aftermath at Royal Rumble 94 I fucking love the whole deal with the heels beating down the Undertaker oh, opening God. the urn the resurrection and Marty Jannetty levitating out of the big screen loved all that supernatural shit I watched it recently and I still love it <laughs> As a kid, you thought I found it absurd. I don't think I, no, I don't never really hated it. But is, did they edit the version over here? On the on, on I can't remember if they edited the live feed. That the actual VHS thing they released over here. I remember being of such poor quality that I couldn't even tell that it was supposed to be somebody levitating yeah, to heaven. Yeah, so maybe it's hard to judge when you didn't get what was happening. Uh, but in terms of supernatural stuff, um, normally I think it's bullshit. But I really love it on Lucha Underground. Really? Yeah, because it's like a separate world, and it's like it's it is a world unto itself. So it's yeah. not it's not insulting pro wrestling. It's this thing all on its own. So that's pretty interesting. That's not a bad one as like a guilty pleasure because I I kind of I I don't like that. I, the, the, the the deaths and stuff like that. That's a little far fetched to me, but yeah, it's not a bad one if you, mm-hmm. if, uh, if if that's your thing. That's a pretty good I, one. It's framed in their world, their universe. Yeah, all right. It's different. Different's cool. Yeah. It, it, Maybe it just doesn't offend me because I don't, it doesn't pretend to be traditional US pro wrestling. So. Yeah. It's actually trying to be a, a different world. Yeah, it's not insulting yeah. my sense. Is it of, a major theme within the company that they... Yeah, you have like, people appearing and disappearing all the time and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Supernatural yeah, wrestling. Yeah. That's gonna yeah. be, that is going to be better than what, how WWE would do it, where it's kind of like where everyone else is normal, but yet you have yeah. Undertaker and Kane were able to do it. So it's like everyone else is normal human beings, but these two somehow have special powers. But it'll which sell. Makes it all, <laughs> which all makes it all completely ridiculous because it's like, what's so special about those two? Wyatt Sheepmask on the UK fan forum says, Was he a well travelled veteran of the territories? <coughs> Far from it. Did he work his way from the high school circuit to the bright lights of MSG? Hardly. However, while Vincent Mann stuck everything on a WrestleMania roll of the dice, he was busy becoming a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, executing 838 tackles, 95 sacks, hell, he even had two interceptions in a storied 15-year career in which he became a two-time Pro Bowler and winning a Super Bowl. 
I don't care if he dressed up as little dog Pepe. He'll always be the <laughs> final and more importantly greatest of the Let me tell you something, baby! Brigade. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Halliburton swinger himself, crusher of cream puffs everywhere. Never mind that shit. Here comes Mongo. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> right, okay, Mongo. I can't believe this! Right. <laughs> Wrestling wise, he's, he's, he's really poor. He's awful. He's really poor. But there is a like there is a certain degree of enjoyment I get from his commentary, just like watching it and just fact it. Just why why am I entertained by the fact of what his dog's wearing? It's weird. It's just like why why do I find that funny? And then just the fact that like the interplay between he, him and Heenan as well, like Heenan would make jokes about the dog. I I don't know. There there is something there's something kind of stupidly fun about him I, I never took him seriously as an announcer but it was just like just random shit that you would say it's, it's you could probably put him in the same bracket as Booker T as commentator where like they, they don't contribute anything to the general product but there's just something <laughs> innately entertaining about what they're doing it's almost like they're on their own planet yeah. or something car about wreck the things, radio car wreck radio yeah it's just that sort of thing there's something weird about Mongo that's entertaining no despite the odd flash of unintentional humour. <laughs> Steve McMichael's general presence on a wrestling show offends me for a number of reasons. First of all, his hair. <laughs> <laughs> that he's put over as a badass, which, hey, given his athletic background, he probably could take most of the guys. But it's Steve McMichael, he's not a wrestler, so no. And he's in the horseman. <laughs> The thing is, Mongo being the tough guy wouldn't be so bad for the fact that he looked completely inept in the ring. Like, exactly. that, like if he actually showed a modicum of like ability, then that, like, that that's one thing. But it's the fact that again, we mentioned last week the match with Brian Adams at Road Wild is just one of my all-time favorite. Like just watching this guy stagger around the ring, him and Reggie White at Slamboree '97 is another fucking classic. Uh, Buzzard Fowler on WrestlingForum.com says, "Ready to rumble." Fucking oh. no. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I popped this film on a few years ago and I went into it expecting to hate it by the time the movie ended, but instead I found myself laughing a lot during the movie. It's hilariously bad and doesn't take itself seriously. David Arquette is funny with his over-the-top performance and has good chemistry with Scott Kahn. It was a treat seeing the WCW wrestlers play themselves instead treat. of different characters. <laughs> because most wrestlers playing different characters in films ends up sucking. Sting is funny in the small scene he has in the movie with Arquette and Kahn. I feel this movie only has a bad reputation because of Arquette winning the WCW title. It's better than most, if not all, of WWE's films. I'm not sure if I hate the principle of David Arquette winning the world title, or this film more. Hmm. <laughs> it's just insulting to wrestling fans. Look how stupid wrestling fans are. Look how stupid the only people who will watch this film are. Yo, know, being mocked for that thinking it's real and <laughs> shit like that and crying yeah. because Jimmy King gets beaten up. I will rule you. Oh, it's awful. It's I awful. just remember seeing I that. am the Lord. <laughs> I just remember seeing this and just kind of watching it and I'm talking about the King. Right, the King. And I'm thinking, well, well it's obviously not going to be Laura. So, so I'm thinking like, okay, so what wrestler have they hired to play the role of the king and then to see Oliver Platt who is a good actor by the way and I do like Oliver Platt but he does not look like a wrestler he really doesn't he looks fucking awful and I just like I thought what the fuck I watched it a few times but not due to Why? any but not due to any pleasure it was like a it was like a morbid curiosity uh, uh, like 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 self abuse I yeah. think it was. I was just watching it. I think mainly because there was one scene which had Savage in it as well. But but it's just 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 watching, it, thinking this has got Savage, 
DDP, Goldberg, Nash. It's got like, all these guys. That don't forget, like, don't forget the cameo of Sid and Saturn. <laughs> Sid and Saturn, Nitro Girls, all that. I was thinking like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> that is bad, but I still think it's better than any of the WWF movies I have seen. The, the, I, the, the, I can't the, say the that. Rip, the Rip. What's his, what's no Holds Barred. No Holds Barred. Oh, yeah, Rip, no whatever his name. All those movies I think are even worse. Oh, it's cack. It's not worse. Because yeah. at least, like, you know, and granted, I've, I've, you know, I've seen a couple of the Dewey films and they're not, trust me, they're not as insulting to the wrestling yeah. audience well, as it's... Legend was good. The one we've seen her as the wrestling brother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Battle, okay. yeah. Battle Royal knockoff with Steve Austin. Oh, the condemned. Oh, oh, condemned. That's not really a WWE movie. Yeah. Is that? I refuse to yeah, watch that just because it? it's a rip off of Battle Royale. Fuck this. I, 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 if you enjoy it, I can only deem this the guiltiest pleasure so far on the list. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Though I will say, I'd rather watch Ready to Rumble on loop than a five-minute Tommy Dreamer match. <laughs> Scott Malbrank on the UK fan forum says. Planet Stasiak is my all-time favourite wrestler. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't feel guilty about it, but others may think I should. I love him, I miss him, and I wish he was still on my TV. Even on Superstars, instead of Zack Cunting Ryder or any member of the Social Misfits, behind besides Curtis Axel. Actually, I also love Curtis Axel. I love his face and the permanent look of entanglement on it. It's like his mind is in a heap trying to decipher what he's to do next and what he's even doing there in the first place. My other guilty pleasure is Bull Nakano. She's the very first person of differing race that I ever shamed myself all over my navel to. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely the that. best way this, to describe this, that. This, this dude's got some fucking issues <laughs> I, I, I'm not a big fan of the uh, I feel a little crazy act <laughs> it was funny it was awful it was funny little crazy act on planet Stasiak oh it's brutal <laughs> stuff it's fucking hilarious Eddie Guerrero just looking at him like he's got three <laughs> heads not JTab on Pro Wrestling and he says I didn't even know it was a guilty pleasure until I started going online but Tom Zenk as someone who got into wrestling through watching WCW Worldwide on ITV in the early 90s Tom Zenk pretty quickly became my favourite wrestler he was the quintessential babyface wrestler adorned in bright colours high flying virtuous and always trying his best often in vain as the Z-Man would eat a lot of three counts Zenk is the face of my childhood Saturday afternoon and here's the thing I still think he's great watching back old WCW he's still loads of fun to watch in the ring he's that perfect size where he can be the power work of the light heavyweight division or the undersized underdog against the dangerous alliance members in the mid-card. If I wasn't online, I'd be shocked to learn how derided he is and I maintain that he's a terrific wrestler. So an interesting one here in uh, the Z-Man because I kind of like Zenk. Maybe it's the, uh, you know, kind of youthful, impressionable nature I had as a, uh, as a kid. But seeing, you know, Zenk is like the plucky guy that you kind of want to win but never really, I mean, he never really stood out to me either, to be quite honest. Perfect white meat baby face for the middle. Yeah, a friend of mine when we were kids had some of the WCW comics. I don't know if you've ever seen those horrendous... I don't think I have. Oh, dude, they're horrendous, but Z-Man is one of the main characters in it. Like, <laughs> It's really strange. There's all sorts of like weird things, like Cactus Jack's quite a big character in them. Um, look them up online. They're well worth a, a look up, and they're horrendous. But yeah, the Z-Man was always quite heavily pushed in the comics, so we always used to wonder why it wasn't better. <laughs> is Ian on a fantastic uh, run of... Uh, interviews on Meltzer's radio show in 2000, 2001 where he just absolutely buries everybody but that, that's kind of the highlight of Tom Zenk's career for me personally <laughs> yeah. but uh, uh, CS on Pro Wrestling only says Scotty Riggs slash Scotty Anton I was the only one who liked him in ECW and cheered his heel turn against RVD 
I also thought he was much better than Bagwell. I remember him showing up in the WWF as Scott Studd before his WCW run, and working a pretty decent long match with somebody. I wish I could remember who it was, but I do know that it aired on Primetime Wrestling. Uh, he also says the Repo Man. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Darso is a favourite, but well, come on, how can you say that? He's part of the uh, enforcement of the law. <laughs> Gee, come on. <laughs> I'm specifically talking about the silly-ass Repo Man character, which always made me smile. Great laugh, great catchphrase, great costume. Darso had a main event run uh, as Smash, uh, but he still went all in and embraced this goofy shit, even though he had to know he wouldn't be headlining anything with it. And his uh, final one here is Kurt Hennig in the West Texas Rednecks. Uh, this is pure and utter wrestle crap, but Hennig embraced it and turned himself and his cohorts babyface in the process. Well, Rednecks, obviously, yes. I don't think that's guilt at all. No, that's just great. Uh, crap is crap. Uh, I can't remember I felt about Reaper at the time. I probably hated him. But watching him back, doing his creepy little look around as he's sneaking around, that's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Rumble 19 gets eliminated and then immediately returns to looking around the ring to see what he can steal next. Is... Hey, he looks like the Hamburglar. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird because, again, this is another one where, kind of in the IRS mold, where it's like, I, I never got into him. I just thought he was, it kind of bored me, to be quite honest. But some of the vignettes he did on the old VHS tapes that they would dish out where he goes around trying to steal people's bicycles and stuff like that, it's like... Yeah, I can see how this kind of fits into the uh, early 90s WWF of the time. Ed Harris on the Facebook page, The Chamber of Horrors from Halloween Havoc 91. A bizarre, misgotten piece of storytelling with a very good line for performers stranded in what is the silliest match idea not involving Vince Russo. Highlights for me include Jim Ross yelling about Rick Steiner grabbing a chainsaw, the announcers in general trying like hell to make sense of the madness, and of course the ending, which is Cactus Jack accidentally electrocutes Abdullah the Butcher after a bit of switching around courtesy of Rick Steiner. I think this may be the only time Rick has ever outsmarted anyone in or out of the ring. As vividly stupid as it is, it does fit the Halloween theme of the show and gives it a little atmosphere, something WCW always managed to do with Halloween Havoc for better or worse. So a chamber of horrors, this being the fantastic lineup of uh, Van Vader, Diamond Stud, Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher against Sting, Steiners and El Gigante. Uh, loser has to get electrocuted. Or you got you to stick somebody in the electric chair, chair of torture, <laughs> TM, and throw the fatal lever, which isn't in a set position and keeps falling down. <laughs> I always this think ma- matches like this uh, are the definition of what I call the Goonies rule, and it's that kind of thing that if you saw the Goonies when you were a kid, you will forever love the Goonies. If you try and watch the Goonies as an adult, you'll wonder what all the fuss is about and why your friends keep talking about it. And matches like this, I think if you watch them at the time, it's a bit like that 95 stuff we were talking about earlier, you have a very different context to them because you've got a nostalgic attachment. I never saw this match at the time, I watched it later and just found it absolutely <laughs> hilariously horrendous. But I'm sure people who watched it at the time might have some sort of connection to it because they're much more see it. Really. <laughs> I, I don't see this being like the hipsters like you know you don't know what a cage match really looks like you know, until you've seen the chamber of horrors what the fuck is that oh is this the WCW comic alright have a look so we have a picture of Sting with what appears to be like a man with a peanut head in a hospital bed saying Sting can you help make me better uh, and there's a nurse there saying no Julie Sting is only human like the rest of us but he can make you an official Stinger <laughs> So Sorry, wait, I, Stinger I, I, was I, making I, a wish before Cena thought it was making a wish. Just, just to clarify, because because the, the the Julie is not the nurse. The nurse is saying that to the person in the bed. So this yes. is a woman Julie's who looks like she's going cancer. through chemo yeah. therapy. Yeah. And Sorry, so going through chemo, right? Going through chemo, she's decided. I don't think this is working. Can the Stinger help? <laughs> 
I'll no, find he some can't. more gems as we go. No, he can't. He is only human. Yeah. He can't cure cancer. You're still gonna die, but we'll put some paint on your face. <laughs> Steve Bachenik on the Facebook page says, "Easy question for me in a business where there are so many complete and utter assholes. Finding a genuinely nice guy may be a fruitless endeavor. Finding one who connects with the fan base and performs adequately even more difficult. My guilty pleasure is Zack Ryder. Uh, the business would be far better off if more athletes took the time to develop their characters like he did. <laughs> oh yeah, you might. Yeah, you must have really uh, loved WrestleMania." Uh, uh, 30, uh, 32 then and, and especially and, the and, post and, and, and the bit uh, oh after oh no oh no I don't think it really has to be a guilty pleasure though enough fans cheering from at Wrestlemania so uh not not for me personally. I'm not I'm not too high on the uh, the rider hype train, as it were. I liked when he did his show, obviously. Yeah, first. yeah. Get, get credit where it's due. Yeah. I do agree with that. He did work very hard. I, I just think he's a rubbish wrestler. And yeah. No interesting thing on my TV. He insults <laughs> my intelligence. He's just meh. That's the problem with him. To you? Yeah, he's just meh. Lou Pickney on F4W. This is one for you, G. Toriano. <laughs> there is no reasonable explanation <laughs> for why his brand of comedy resonates with me. Normally, I don't care for much comedy in pro wrestling, especially in a typically <coughs> serious promotion like New Japan. But between the language barrier, the silly posing, the clown-like behaviour, Yano should be someone I have absolute contempt for on the level of Yujiro Takahashi uh, without Mao or his uh, fantastic theme song. But yet, for whatever reason, YTR works for me. Whether it's the Rob Van Dam style gesturing that he added to his repertoire five years ago, or the low blow, hair pull, turnbuckle removing, rule breaking he does in nearly every match, the guy manages to make me laugh. And I know I'm not even getting the full experience with his mid-match comments that tend to pop the normally stoic Japanese crowd, which I don't understand without a translation. He's quite a frustrating one. I mean, besides the obviously blatant RBD rip-off that he does, one, he looks shit. Okay, with with the badly dyed ginger hair, and then he's wearing these multicoloured fucking granny pants. <laughs> the pattern of which looks like it's off an Indian restaurant wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these massive granny pants that go like from his knees up to his nipples, right? And then even then, like he has folds of fat flopping over the top, like a proper muffin top, right? This guy just does not look like a wrestler. He looks like Oliver Platt. <laughs> and 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 he just he just looks like fucking nothing. He barely does anything in the ring that's entertaining that doesn't involve a chair. He comes out hocking these DVDs I don't think anybody buys. Yet there is something about him that's entertaining and it's not and, and it's gets not over and gets time. over he gets over every time. There's something about him personally it's not the things he does, but it's the way he does it. It's That's, a charm. That, there's a charm. There's something endearing about it. He kind of looks like that. He's never going to be a you know the IWGP champion. He's never going to be a main eventer. He's just there to be in the lower card to entertain people, uh, to get the comedy spots in, and to do the RVD spot. And, and and that's what he's there for. And and for that, he's a lot better than fucking Captain New Japan in terms of like <laughs> fucking doing like you know th- those kind of like light-hearted like ah oh, yuck yuck kind of gimmicks. So whilst I don't like seeing him when he's taking on the top guys uh, in the undercard, he doesn't insult me just because there is a certain innate charisma about him. I just want to transition here. Halty has passed us another the WCW comic books. And all I really want to say about this is we have the, the captions in the corner of, hey, what's Johnny B. Bad doing here? Maybe he wants a shot at Z-Man. And the picture I can only describe <laughs> as looking like Zeus in drag. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this, and in the corner, there's a speech bubble from Johnny B. Bad saying, here I come, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not a Zeus looking like. It's, 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 yeah, he's going, here I come. Yeah, it's, he's, he's wearing his purple pants, but there's this distinct shade of green where he almost looks like the Hulk. Oh, totally. yeah. He looks like, it's, it's the Hulk Mark Merrow. <laughs> I'll never understand how this company didn't turn a profit into my fire. Who knew? <laughs> 
Niall Clark on the Facebook page says, The Brawl for All. Can for good reasons, but, <laughs> but for some unknown reason to me, I enjoyed it. Perhaps it's the MMA fan inside of me, even though it's a very poor man's MMA. We got the pleasure of seeing Bradshaw getting up the fuck out, and that's good enough for me. We'll get to the, uh, the Brawl for All as it starts in the next episode of the timeline that we're doing next week, so uh, we can elaborate on Brawl for All there, but it's a guilty pleasure only when uh, Bart Gunn was knocking people out. Other than that, there wasn't much pleasure to be had, unfortunately. Uh, Kowalski's Killer on WrestlingForum.com says, I actually like No Holds Bard. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's a vote for Rip. And he also says, D'Lo Brown is easily in my top five for Attitude Era, guys. And I still think it's a travesty that he was never the world champion, still the greatest European champion of all time. So uh, You're a continental champion. That's not a guilty pleasure at all. No, I, th- I, think, I think there are tons of people on the D-Lo train. But there's one here that he was uh, very committal on, and I, I'll applaud him for this one. The one I feel most strongly about, regardless of the bad press he gets, I will always be a Hulkamaniac. <laughs> I didn't read comic books, play video games, or get into too many Saturday morning cartoons as a kid. Hulk Hogan was my superhero. I bought everything he said, and I did it hook, line, and sinker. I was disgusted by his racist remarks, but everything else I couldn't care less about. He's the reason why I and millions of others got into wrestling in the first place, and I'll live the rest of my life and die bleeding red and yellow. Which, uh, the commitment to the cause there in terms of a guilty pleasure... I'll I, don't, I don't think that's a guilty pleasure at all. Be- because of the fact that he was such a star? Obviously. That's, yeah. That's... I guess guilty in the internet circles. It's not really cool no. to admit that you liked Hogan, you know? But it, Hogan, he was still good at what he did. Yeah. He was underrated. He, he could sell his ass off to get the, the match over. And obviously, yeah, okay, we all know his limitations. But he was super charismatic, so... We'll go to one now that, uh, that didn't influence the business quite as much. The Miz. Uh, yeah. Gillette 86 on FOW says, You know what? Fuck the haters. I enjoy the fucking Miz. He's a great heel that gets heat the right way and is probably the best actor on the active roster, so he's able to recite his shit lines in a much more believable manner than anyone else. He's also a decent worker. So yeah, The Miz. And his wife is super fine. So The Miz it is. Stuart Civiter on the Facebook page says, I've always enjoyed The Miz. I'll always remember the one promo in 2010 when his feud with MVP. But no matter how bad the content, he's always been decent. To me, he's just on fire at the moment as well. Uh, Boots to Chests on WrestlingForum.com <laughs> says, I thought Miz was fucking great as WWE Champion. I thought his mic work was the best it ever was. I thought his matches were how his character should have been booked. I thought him going over at Mania was also the right call. I loved it all. And Scott Lindsay on the Facebook page uh, says, Miz will always be one of my favourites. Sorry, Carl Jones. <laughs> uh, who's not here to rip into the Miz with furious passion. Some acts are made for the mid-card and that's the Miz for me. I, I really like him in his current role, and not because his wife is too fine. <laughs> uh, he's, 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 he's funny, he's wacky, he's not believable, and that's why he could never be a main eventer, and that's why I hate him as a main eventer. But because he's not believable and, and he's wacky, he's fun in the mid card. So. Yeah, he yeah, honestly always feels to me, I always think he's like the honky tonk man of this generation, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'll take up on him as well with the guilty pleasure of, of him as a, as a main eventer because. Um, oh, you I, were totally on the bandwagon, weren't you? I, I, hate that, I hated that about you. <laughs> <laughs> I, as far as I, I'm not, I'm not going to turn around and try and state that The Miz is like one of the best workers in the world, <laughs> right? But I will state that from, from, his, from his humble beginnings, um, <laughs> as, as the host of SmackDown, I think uh, over the time when he, when he got to the point where he won the United States title, I thought he had improved. 
he'd improved from from well, that's from from, he was from fucking where, awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was even worse before, but like he improved enough to the point where, as as the as the the uh, the, the writer in had mentioned that you know he he was he was a passable worker. There, there was enough there to work with because his main selling point was his mic skills. I, I didn't even necessarily see him anything in him when he was with Morrison either. I just thought it was blatantly like they they put Morrison with Miz to try and make uh, Miz work a bit better, and I guess they put Miz with Morrison to try and make Morrison's mic work better. But once he kind of went into the United States title reign, I really kind of got quite behind him. You know, when he won Money in the Bank and the title, I, I wasn't against it. I can't really tell you for certain whether it was because I was, I was completely on, on the Miz bandwagon or if it was just because I wanted anything new. I just wanted something new other than Cena, Orton and Batista. Yeah. It, it may have been, that may have been a big contribu- contributing factor, I'll admit that. I wanted to see something new, but in Miz, I saw enough in him to go, okay, I want this. I want this guy to be the something that's new. Well, this is the thing. Miz didn't get any traction until he started doing the promos on Cena. But he was doing mm. that mid card US title mm. and he was doing the, the Joker Goldberg, you know, Miz yeah. One, Cena Zero, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's like it, it, it was t- tapping into something that was there, but hadn't really been touched on by any of the, the performers in really quite some time. The, the anti-Cena sentiment and it helped get a groundswell for him yeah. that he kind of rode all the way to the world title in the main event of Wrestlemania which he probably didn't really deserve to be quite honest but hey guilty yeah guilty pleasure but that match with Cena at Mania was fucking awful if I can be quite blunt yeah. uh, we'll go to another one here one of the major ones actually Harmonic Generator on the UK fan form says I don't mind the invasion in the slightest never watched or gave a shit about either WCW or ECW as separate entities to the WWF they meant nothing to me I watched the WWF and that was it so for me the invasion was just a WWF storyline with no real world context or background bogging it down and it was great taken on its own it's got drama high stakes twists and turns new stars and old and the right team won at the end I appreciate that for most people watching at the time that context and background would have been there and would have sour the angle and what could have been but for me seeing all those new guys and for me they were new come in and be a threat only to be beaten back by my beloved WWF was exactly what I wanted to see Week to week, you didn't know who was going to turn. You had the rise of RVD. You had Rock back. Angle was having a great run. It was really watchable and fun, but I totally understand, especially now, why it wouldn't have been for many others. But I loved it. Killjoy G on the UK fan form also said the invasion angle. Before you all laugh and tell me to disappear forever, let me set the scene. It's 2001. I'm 11 years old, and I've been a wrestling fan since SummerSlam 2000, and I've only ever heard of WCW, but never seen it. To me, I had no clue about who the stars were. So when WCW started to invade, I was just genuinely pissed off. How dare they? It didn't matter that all we got was Lance Storm or Mike Awesome, because I didn't know who Goldberg was. So I accepted that these figures were the stars of the brand. When Stephanie and Shane tried to destroy the WWF, I just saw them as ungrateful brats who needed a slap. WWF for life! The inclusion of ECW added the betrayal of guys I only ever saw as WWF guys, and I hurt for it. How dare they abandon us in our time of need? And this is the same attitude I had towards Austin and the other WWF guys leaving. I was so into this storyline that I made sure to never miss a show, and to this day, I love it. Uh, I love the Austin Appreciation Night, because you are the wind beneath our ring, and the subsequent milk shower. I love Heyman's impassioned promo before Survivor Series, and I even love classy Freddy Blassie's stand-up promo. The only thing from this time in wrestling I wish could be taken back is Austin's goddamn what chant. So, uh, oh, and also FUM on the UK fan form says, Mark me down for loving the invasion. One of my favourite ever Raw episodes was the Kurt Angle turn with a hint all night long that Y2J was turning. So an interesting one there just because the people who weren't offended by the invasion were the people who didn't watch WCW or ECW. Yeah. So I think that's a fairly easy one. But the thing is, being involved in wrestling in some kind of minor degree on an indie level here... 
I'm stunned by the number of people who recall the invasion era and the invasion angle as like this golden era yeah, of, yeah. of WWF wrestling. I, I would hear it all the time from people who, who you know, were in the business or trying to get into wrestling and stuff like that. It's like, I can't believe that that's your golden era. It's like this, this absolute disaster of an angle that just saw the numbers plummet. But a lot of people like it. Maybe again, it's that 95 thing we talked about earlier on where... Mm. It's part of your inception and, and, and introduction to wrestling. Craziness all over the place, and a little bit of chronic in there too. It, it, it was following on from like obviously like I, I think their best year, and obviously following on from from WrestleMania uh, 17, which uh, you know a, a majority of people uh, held as as being the not just best mania, but one of the best shows they've ever done. So I can see how that can have like like an effect on the rest of the year, where they have good you know they have good memories of those early days, and so they just think of the invasion as like uh, an addition to it also the fact i think like 2002 is a good year as well so it's kind of bracketed in there so it might that might maybe uh help people's uh, opinions of it i i can see where the chap's coming from if he didn't follow any wcw then you'd have no context for how bad that angle came across but so they weren't even treated as stars though yeah so the con the con concept I of these were the I didn't know who Goldberg was so mm. Lance Storm was a big deal but Lance Storm wasn't treated like a big deal obviously I was greatly disappointed the fact that, that the Flares and the Mysterios and, and the Goldbergs and so on weren't on this but uh, whilst I was an, an initially disappointed by the turnout of the major stars I just remember pretty much going with it and just thinking like okay so they only got these guys in I know the rest I know the natural born thrillers I know those guys because unfortunately I did watch uh, um, uh, WCW in 2000 and so I was like alright let's go then let's see what they do with it and it, it is disappointing in hindsight but I just remember at the time I didn't hate every moment of it it was only in retrospect afterwards I went man they fucked that up at the time I just kind of went with it and just enjoyed it for what it was yeah I second you on that I, I think that at the time I didn't it, it, it's hindsight it where you say what more could have been but I didn't necessarily hate what was there I still ate it all up and, and uh, that invasion paid for you was great and yeah. it did gangbusters numbers you know yeah, like yeah, you yeah. look back on it but sure. it is a uh, an isolation thing when you look at it in the big picture it's a, a complete letdown. <laughs> who did the running where then Bradshaw led everyone out and they basically just beat the them from pillar to pillar that was it crown. Christ that was rough <laughs> <laughs> it was actually great because they actually kept beating them up during the commercial break when they weren't filming as well yeah. it was beat the fuck out of them yeah uh, get into a couple of quick ones here before we wrap it up. Vito Cruz on TPWW says, Goldberg was the first wrestler I was ever a mark for when I started watching wrestling in 98. My Goldberg markdom never wavered. Uh, when he came to the WF and won the title in 2003 and half the people on this board were on suicide watch, I fucking loved every second of it. It made me sad to see his last WWE match be such a train wreck, even if it made for a bizarre social experiment. <laughs> so yeah, I guess Goldberg counts. I'm well aware that he was the drizzling shits in the ring most of the time, but I don't care. He could come back on Raw next week and I would still lose my shit and immediately start watching again this kind of falls in the Hogan thing for me too like you said before Kieran yeah ah god he's fucking charisma presence athletic explosive nah he's more like I'll probably say we'd count him more along the Sid lines but, but actually someone, with Hogan as well with, yeah. with the drawing power of Hogan nah there's enough to be ashamed of like Bill Goldberg yeah Goldberg was fucking hot for yeah, a while there Lust Hogan on Pro Wrestling Only says I love the obvious face in mask gimmick like Charlie Brown from Out of Town Stagger Lee Mr. America The Midnight Rider etc so absurd but they crack me up every time this being the you know Dusty Rhodes coming in it's obvious it's Dusty dressed as the Midnight Rider and Hulk Hogan Mr. America Jimmy Valentine 
Stallion as, as Charlie Brown from Out of Town, stuff like that. Stallion, Junkyard Dog as Staggerly. It's just awful. But it is hilariously camp, and you get some you get some funny moments out of it. The Mr. America, I dug Mr. America, to be quite honest. Edge and Christian is the Lost Conquistadors. Lost Conquistadors is a little bit different, but again, funny application of it, because they kind of ran with the ball a little bit there. Bill Diarrhea on the UK fan forum says, Guilt is for losers and paedophiles. My love for everything about Kevin Sullivan is often misunderstood. He was good for about 10 seconds. Five of them right at the start of the occult angle in Florida, and the other half is the weird Sven Garley of the Varsity Club. The rest of his stuff is nonsense. Once Big Dust was out of Florida, that gimmick was basically done, but lived on for years, and the Dungeon of Doom was the best worst thing ever. I love him. <laughs> so, Kevin Sullivan gets a nod here for guilty pleasure. The Taskmaster and the Dungeon of Doom has to be a guilty pleasure. Uh, it's gotta be, because they fucking sucked. Uh, one more one to get to here, because it was actually something that we, we checked out right before we started the show. Power Butchie on the UK fan forum says, Whoa, the world's turning, the stock's up, the yen's up, you know what else is up? The UWF. Those words were uttered by Dr. Death Steve Williams as he span around in a circle cutting a promo for one of my favourite promotions ever, Herb Abrams' UWF. The talent roster was amazing. Dr. Death. Bob Orton, Cactus Jack, Don Morocco, Colonel De Beers, Bam Bam Bigelow, Ivan Koloff, Nikita Koloff, Larry Zabisco, Kemper Terra, Billy Jack Haynes, and many more. Does that whet your appetite? Well, it shouldn't. On YouTube, there's a video which is called That Which Is Abrams UWF, and I suggest you watch it to get a feel for it. But if you aren't enough of a bare-chested, knife-fighting, two-cock maverick renegade, then I'll describe it. It starts with a shot of the UWF logo, which isn't on the screen properly, and Herb Abrams announcing a special report about everything going on with Colonel Red and his world. The screen goes a putrid colour of orange, and an amazingly cheap typeface announces Colonel Red's Corner. Zooming out of the screen as, as two seconds of the theme from Great American Bash 88 plays, and then it crashes terribly into a mid-sentence Colonel Red, talking about how he gets to pick who he gets to interview. Colonel Red is a man in a Colonel Sanders suit with a pastel blue waistcoat, bleach blonde mullet, and a pimp stick. Anyway, he will not interview Jimmy Valiant. He goes on and on, and he says that he owns this corner, which would give credence to the pimp stick, I suppose, tricking them out to whichever ladies have been doing coke with Herb Abrams that night. Herb comes out and says no. Colonel Red, you have to interview Jimmy Valiant. <laughs> we cut to next week via another subtle edit. Red has put it in writing that he will not, will not interview Jimmy Valiant. So here comes Herb again. Herb says you have to interview him, and Red, Red tells him to go fuck himself, and they shout at one another, and then Jimmy Valiant sneaks up on Red from behind, all five stone of him wearing what appears to be a sock on his head then Ivan Koloff comes out in what Herb proclaims to be the ultimate confrontation they have the worst pull apart ever and then we have a not obvious jump cut to their match which Abrams once again calls the ultimate confrontation the match consists of Valiant wailing on Koloff with, with Red's cane loads and loads putting Koloff in a sleeper Red who Abrams describes as a sleazy culprit on his commentary uh, hits Valiant in the back once with the cane Koloff does the Triple H Wrestlemania 19 pin and gets the three Abrams runs into the ring and declares this is an absolute disgrace and reverses the decision. So Red starts hitting him in the face with a cane, and Abrams blades himself on camera, worse than Captain Lou Albano ever did, as John Tolos on commentary basically rips the piss out of the entire thing. As Abrams is stretched out, we get another cunning cut to the earlier UWF special report screen, and somebody else declares Herb cut the following promo before he went to hospital. Paramedics are often known to let you jump off a stretcher to cut promos before putting you back in the ambulance. <laughs> 
He's bleeding, wearing a ripped shirt that he wasn't wearing earlier, and screaming about how no one has ever done this to him, and Red, he's going to get you. Then we get another clean cut to a next week on Fury Hour graphic, where Herbert Abrams, clearly now recovered, is telling us who we'll see next week, including the 6ix9ine Night Stalker, and the ever-dastardly Barry Horowitz, that German villain Helmut Hessler, and the bright and cheery Steve the Wild Thing Ray, it has to be seen to be believed. The company also gets extra marks for playing the tune of the Equalizer all over its promos. The UWF, I fucking love it. Even Herb's death was downright hilarious. <laughs> yeah, this is like if Ed Wood ran a wrestling promotion, <laughs> it'd be the UWF. And I've always been fascinated to see some of it after reading in Foley's books. And yeah. He cracked me up in Foley's yeah. books. Yeah, there's definite comedy value to this. Jimmy Valiant looking like Iggy Pop fucked a wizard. Now, this is the child. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah. Five Stone's generous, man. That guy hasn't eaten for yeah. days. <laughs> it's, a, it's, shock, it's a shocking production. I love, I love the like, cuts in the edits. It's like Gandalf off the steroids or something. <laughs> it's deliciously camp and worth a watch. Yeah, know. worth a watch. Check out that video on YouTube. How long is good. that video then? It's about seven, seven, seven eight minutes. Yeah. Okay, I'll give it a watch. Cuts to him just shouting to the camera and then just cuts straight away again to just the logo or something. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck's that about? It's, it's like, like a ten second, I'm going to get you and cuts away. <laughs> I need to see is it the uh, let's hear it for the Jews line. They hear it for the on the pay per view. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's class. Uh, we got one final one here before we wrap it up. Project Humanoid on the FOW board says I had just turned eleven when it happened, so I guess I was just the right age for it. But I loved Undertaker versus Undertaker. I used to watch it over and over on that He Buries Them Alive VHS release they did that also featured such amazing contests as the Undertaker versus Quang. <laughs> so uh, that's a good nomination there. Taker Taker as a guilty pleasure. Morbid curiosity is the only thing that I could say. I, I did read a funny thing uh, J.N. Lister wrote in and uh, said that they actually in the building turned the heating off during the match to try and add to the atmosphere of Taker Taker so there literally was no heat in the building <laughs> and no heat in the crowd either for that matter so uh, an interesting thing here but I don't know if this fits on anybody's guilty pleasure list around this table the Leslie Nielsen promos might be a guilty pleasure yeah yeah Leslie Nielsen <laughs> Leslie Nielsen I don't know <laughs> some of that stuff is just Tosh, man. Um, lost in Cleveland, by the way. Oh, does that get a guilty pleasure from anybody? Uh, I th- yeah, I think like, I think he gets it from me. Really? It's kind of wackily stupid. White Castle of Fear. Yeah. Sting loves bringing that White oh, Castle of Fear up, doesn't he? At the Hall of Fame again. Like. <laughs> Let's not forget the promo on the beach. <laughs> the beach, you got to go to the beach. The beach video, yeah, yeah. the beach video for uh, <coughs> the, uh, the Beach the Blast 93. Baywatch episode. Oh, on oh, WCW. Yes. <laughs> That's just you have to watch that. That is bad TV at its best. That's think, just so hilarious yeah, to watch. I think there's there's two kinds of nostalgia, and there's stuff you watched at the time that wasn't very good, but you've got an, an emotional attachment to. So you, that, yeah. or the stuff you didn't see at the time, which was really shit, but it's hilariously yeah, wacky yeah. and camp. And I mean, watching in retrospect, it's you get a kick I, out of it. I'd say you haven't lived until you see a, bu- a bunch of a bunch of beautiful, uh, you know, lifeguards. Uh, revive Hulk Hogan and then Hulk Hogan looking around confused as a situation as Macho Man comes riding in on a jet ski right <laughs> mounts the sand runs into the group and just goes are you okay? <laughs> just like, all the meantime he's got trunks of same Macho Man on <laughs> and I'm just thinking right now you motherfuckers there's only one guy working this beach and <laughs> fucking Macho Man Randy Savage just think of all the money they lost not selling Macho Man Speedos oh, that's put, fucking brilliant I would have bought a pair of those oh, that's a guilty pleasure absolutely so before we wrap this up I want to ask around the table is there any personal guilty pleasures that haven't been mentioned uh, we got to quite a few of our own during the course of this show Crush being one of the ones for me 
Sid as well as, 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 a, as a youth I was quite taken with Sid until I kind of you know again I think that, that Survivor Series 96 was the, yeah, the turning point for me getting to see him in the main event of that show with Farouk was just dire my guilty pleasure will always be Marty Jannetty. Um, when me and my brother were younger and we were having a debate about which of the rockers would go on to be famous, I always claimed that Marty Jannetty would be the one. <laughs> and I still swear to this day that he's just a comeback and like 15 great WrestleMania matches away from doing it, and I'll hang on to that until he's dead. So <laughs> That's not a guilty pleasure, that's just guilt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I still, honestly, if I read that he'd come back on Raw this week and worked a four-minute match, I'd be like, okay, where's that on the YouTube? Then we'll have that, because I just love him. I think he's great, and I think... I think, uh, you know, if you worked with someone who fucked up that many times and got fired, you wouldn't let them come back again, but I would. My definite one is the Lex Express, without doubt, because I was just, yeah, as I said, so, so on board before, unfortunately, the wheels fell off. <laughs> so with that said I want to thank everybody for their contributions we got to as many as we could we are unfortunately out of time so we can't get to any more uh, and we will be back next week however like we said May and June 1998 in the Monday Night War timeline coming up next week every uh, Raw and Nitro from this period of time as well as backstage notes from the Wrestling Observer newsletters of the time to break down to break down a fascinating couple of months in what has been so far a very interesting year to track obviously so we've got that coming up next week it's going to be a lot of fun I want to thank everybody for listening for G. John Chase Play that German techno. Four, Matt Holt. See you again in six months, folks. <laughs> and four, Kieran O'Rourke. I just want to say, Connor, I know this isn't the end. Tell me a lie. You'll be back. Say that you won't go. You'll be back. <laughs> oh, just like Jon Snow isn't dead, and I really do have a chance with Sasha Banks if I ever meet her. I am the eternal optimist. Bye-bye, folks. I am Liam O'Rourke, and we are out of here. Talk to you next week. Bye.